0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Forever Saturday podcast. Because it is always College Football Saturday in our house, I'm Serena, better known as SGeorge at R on Twitter,
1: and I'm Matt, also at Matt seven two three.
0: I'll give you three guesses as to why my voice is a little hoarse today.
1: <laughs> You're only going to need one.
0: It's first down, second down, third down. <laughs> those are the, those are the those are your guesses, right?
1: Voices be damned, we are here and we are fucking ready to go. Oh
0: my god, I've been waiting. Oh, yeah. I've been waiting. Because,
1: I mean, all of that shit that we had to listen to the last month, all of it, it's all irrelevant now. Michigan, 30. Ohio State, 24. Michigan is just better. They earned it. They had always earned it. And now there is nothing anybody can say with any real belief behind it. I mean, yeah, there's always going to be the bullshit excuses, right? The Nothing is ever legitimate. The flu, the snow, the five plays, the refs, blah, blah, blah. Like, all of that, yeah. it's It's out there, but... After Michigan 30, Ohio State 24, everybody has to shut the fuck up now and acknowledge that Michigan, for the third year in a row, is just the better team. Everything else is just excuses. even, Even the few Ohio State fans with actual working brains know it.
0: Yeah, it's funny that you say they have to shut up. I'm like, sir, they don't have to do anything, right? Like, (laughs) they are definitely not shutting up in the grand scheme of things. But I want to revisit how fucking right you were, right? Which is to say, in the last episode, I was... You know, having kind of a like an existential crisis because I was like, "What if they're right? Like, what? What? They're planting this seed of doubt in my brain." You were like, "Serena, it doesn't matter because they're going to come up with something else, no matter what. Like, nothing is ever legitimate to and them." There's
1: always another layer to and delegitimize legitimate to done.
0: Thing that I see when I get on like social media. Well, the first thing I see is a bunch of elated Michigan fans. But the first like whiffs of copium that I get are well, that wasn't a touchdown and the refs and it was an interception and Denzel Burke had it. And we're, we're, you know.
1: Rod Moore didn't have control of the ball. It's, there's already just an endless bag of excuses being emptied out.
0: Until kingdom come. And I'm like, you were so right. I can't believe I ever let them fucking gaslight me into thinking that like we could get one legitimately. They don't think, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't
1: matter, no. It doesn't matter. I mean, we kind of debated that last week, like debated whether this one really did mean more. And my argument was more that, you shouldn't let them try to delegitimize the last two years because there's always going to be that. They're always going to do it, no matter what the actual thing on the field is, right? But it obviously did mean more, you know? (laughs) Ohio State emptied the bag to get this situation, to get Ryan Day against Sharon Moore to try to get a win and to delegitimize the last two years. They went all in to get this game to try to ruin this Michigan season with a national championship legitimately in play. They went all in and they went bust and Michigan walks away with the whole fucking pile of chips and it feels really fucking good. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I spent most of the, well, I spent bits and pieces of the game, but especially like the, the fourth quarter in the last minute or so, minute and five seconds, pretty terrified. It just, it felt different from the last two years because in 2021 and 2022, both times, Michigan kind of pulled away at the end, right? The final minutes were more of a a formality, of a just finish it because Michigan had taken two-score leads, right? And this one wasn't that. It was you know, Ohio State had the a legitimate chance to win the game. They played well enough to win the game and they had the ball down six. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought just we haven't seen Michigan win a game like that against Ohio State since I mean I guess two thousand eleven, but that wasn't really the same. Like Ohio State wasn't good that year and it didn't really have the implications, anything like the implications of this year's game. So you go back to two thousand six or twenty sixteen, you know, the games that have had these sort of stakes and have come down to a possession at the end. And Michigan hasn't won those games. And it in a way, like deep down I was like, I don't I just I, I can't remember Michigan winning a game like this against Ohio State. And I just don't know if this is gonna be it. So it was excruciating.
0: Oh, it was and terrible. And
1: then it was ecstasy, right? I mean, I'm not sure I've ever felt that kind of explosion in Michigan Stadium. I didn't get to be there for the under the lights game. I know you said that was kind of the one that made you a Michigan...
0: A diehard. Whatever you are. Psycho. Now. Yeah, whatever.
1: But I'm not sure I've ever felt something like that moment at the end of, uh, you know, with 25 seconds left when Rod Moore gets the pick and they confirm it and the stadium just explodes.
0: Yeah, I mean... You were talking about how Ohio State emptied the bag for this matchup, and they totally did. Because even if you don't believe that Ryan Day is behind the P.I., like, let's be as generous as possible, right? Even if you don't believe that he is behind the P.I., like any of that stuff, there is no question that him and Gene Smith were the ADs that were the loudest on every fucking call with Tony Petiti. There's no way that's not true, right? Like, they have to be the people who are leading the charge with respect to getting jim harbaugh out on
1: well, the media campaign i mean it was clear that a lot of it was coming out from ohio state specifically yeah, so i mean because that's part people... of the reason we think that the pi firm was coming from them but regardless ohio state was pushing this and was a catalyst for all of what's happened in the last month
0: 100 percent. and you want to know what nobody said it better than ari wasserman who today oh, yes. said i've written two columns read a lot of articles, and listened to a ton of podcasts since the Ohio State-Michigan game. One thing that needs to be said that I haven't heard anyone say is this. Ohio State didn't just lose the game. It missed a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to really knock your hated opponent into a dark spot. Imagine if Ohio State won, how we'd be talking about Michigan and the cheating scandal today. It would have delegitimized everything Michigan accomplished the last three years. Now, it's the opposite. Ryan Day may win the Michigan game next year, but that missed opportunity in one of the biggest games in rivalry history can never be salvaged. Day could have hurt Michigan's program more in this one than any other individual game in rivalry history. He didn't. That has to be the toughest pill to swallow for Ohio State fans. Yes, yep. and I hope you choke on it. Like, <laughs> like, yes.
1: Well, that's kind of my point. That like, was
0: what you were trying to do, right. and we know it. We fucking know it right? And you didn't do it sucks to suck.
1: Yep, you didn't do it. Michigan got the job done. And before we get to the Ohio State part, I just got to say, all those Michigan dudes out there are legends now. Ohio three-star Rod Moore. Didn't get the offer. Told his teammates in high school, Michigan is never losing to Ohio State as long as I'm there. Three for three. J.J. McCarthy. One of Ari Wasserman's columns after the game was about how Ryan Day basically sealed his fate by picking Kyle McCord over J.J. McCarthy because J.J. McCarthy wanted to go to Ohio State, and they slow-played him. And now he says, I used to want to go there, now I want to kill them. That was an exact quote from high school J.J. McCarthy.
0: That's so crazy, given his, like, sunny disposition. It's, it's, like,
1: very, it's, it's a it's, very Mike Barrett fathom. quote yes. from
0: J.J. McCarthy, <laughs> and it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me, but I like it. We're, we're going to go with it.
1: Obviously, Blake Corum. Mikey Sane was still... Zach fucking Zinter. Everyone. I mean, Quorum had the quote after the game, and the uh, you know players kind of go up and have their press availability afterwards. And I saw this quote as we were driving back, and I was kind of choking up just because of the way it, it came out from Quorum. He said, quote, this is why I came back. I couldn't go out like I did last year. I hope I left a legacy to be remembered. Like, oof. You did, man.
0: Yeah, you don't have to worry about that one anymore, buddy.
1: That's right. Those who stay will be champions and these guys are champions. 12 and 0 for the second straight year. 28 straight regular season wins, which actually ties the all-time Big 10 record for consecutive wins. 3 in a row over Ohio State for the first time since 1995 through 97, which he may remember what happened at the end of that 3-year run.
0: What a convenient year for that run to end, yes.
1: <laughs> and on the brink of a third straight Big 10 title for what would be the first time in Michigan history. Outright, Think about that. Outright, outright Big, Big 10 title. title. Yeah, they've never done it three straight outright titles, in however many fucking years. I don't even know how many years. Well, we're on <laughs> Michigan team one forty four, right? Right, but the Big Ten hasn't existed for all of those. I suppose that's true. Okay, somewhere in enough. the range of a hundred, right? Yeah, I mean, that's really something. And Ohio State, meanwhile, <laughs> they're not doing so great. They are. I mean, there's basically, as far as I can tell, two camps right now. One is either full meltdown mode, as in. This is what we knew Ryan Day was, and he has to go. And the other is some all-time incredible coping. It's, uh, it's pretty fucking entertaining. You know, To be fair, I thought Ryan Day coached probably the best game he's coached strategically in this series, but he did have a few pretty catastrophic game management decisions, and ultimately in that regard, he got outcoached by Sharon Moore. And again, this is the matchup that Ohio State played all their cards to get. Ryan Day against an interim coach an assistant coach, substitute teacher, and he got fucking beaten. And those Ohio State people are in their feels about it big time.
0: Yeah, they are. The copium is at an all-time high. It's so, it's outrageous. I mean, we're going to talk a lot about the game, but for the last two years, in the way that Michigan has worked to beat Ohio State, right in 2021, it was, we ran the ball down your fucking throat. And we ran it, and there was nothing you could do about it. Hassan Haskins ran all over you.
1: They could have played that game for 15 quarters, and Ohio State was not stopping Michigan in the second half.
0: It didn't matter, right? That's, that's 2021. Right. 2022, right? Ryan Day was like, we're, and Jim Knowles, they were like, we're not going to get beat like that again. So what do they do? They spend the whole game, right, with like nine in the box. like. Yep. Just absolutely being like, we're not going to get beat like that again. And they didn't quite get beat like that again, right? But they gave up the five explosives because they've got no one deep ever at any point.
1: Right. When you're playing nine on the box and you get beat over the top, you get beat.
0: Or when a running back gets to the second level and there's no one back there. Same principle. Same principle. So Ohio State's toughness has been so much of the narrative over the last two years. Ryan Day's picking fights with Lou Holtz on national fucking television about it. And the question, the fundamental question about this program is, is Ohio State soft? And, you know, to credit their players, especially their defensive line, which I think had, frankly, a very, very good game, I didn't think their players actually played soft. I I didn't think that was the issue this time right it wasn't 2021 in that regard no, where they were just not. getting fucking moved off the line and they they were not going to be there at all
1: well and to some extent i mean like you said in 2022 that was what they decided was the only way they could play to not get be like that so the softest was still kind of the the undoing and the way they had to overcompensate for it right and i don't think that was true this year
0: it was not true this year it was not they they showed up and were physical in the trenches on both sides of the ball I think yeah. like that offensive line at points held up better than I thought it was going to especially with our defensive tackles at times at times it wasn't great all the time but I didn't expect it to be because Mason Graham and Kenneth Grant, Chris right. Jenkins they're fucking monsters like no nobody's keeping them in check all game long right Right. and then on the on the flip side right I mean I, you know we talk I've talked a lot of shit about JT Tuimola, and he was great against the run he's not you know from the past rushing perspective, I still think he's like, whatever. Yeah. But it, him and Sawyer and Hall, great games, right? Yeah. They weren't soft in that way. But I'm here to tell you, Michigan fans, Ohio State is still a soft ass fucking program. They're soft, and in fact, they're so soft that I ranked seven of the softest things I saw. Not from this the This is probably not base. even an
1: all-inclusive list. No,
0: it's not even close to exhaustive. But seven of the softest fucking things that I saw from this coaching staff and Ohio State, the entity in the game and in its aftermath. And I thought it would be fun to rank those. This isn't even the fan base's copium, which I feel like is an entirely different category <laughs> yeah, of soft. Right. I'm talking about Ohio State, the football program, and slash or the institution. Yep. Right? Okay? So we're going to start. We're going to start with number seven. This is the least soft
1: so we're counting down thing. from number seven to number one. Number yeah. one being the, the softest the thing softest in and around thing. this game from the Ohio State
0: program. 100%. Number seven. Punting on fourth and one in the first half.
1: Yeah, this was an interesting decision because I kind of feel like it was the right decision in the sense that Ohio State's not really built to get a yard. But that's also kind of the problem.
0: No, they're built to get 10 or 0, but right. they're not built to get 1.
1: That's kind of the problem, right? is Ohio State can't really run the ball on the interior. They're not built for it. Michigan is. And so you saw Ohio State punt on fourth and one on their second series, and Michigan, a couple series later, they go for it twice on fourth and one, and they get it, and they punched in for a touchdown. And that's just very emblematic of same situation, two different teams built two different ways, and one of them gets a fucking yard when it needs it.
0: Soft. Absolutely terribly soft. You're coaching scared in this game, Ryan Day. Yep. Like, it's one fucking yard. I know you don't have the, like, you know, the world beaters at running back and the offensive line blocking isn't good, but, like, just fucking sneak it. It's one fucking yard. Like, I don't think they can sneak it with an interior can't. line either. And that's, that's soft. Right. That is soft. And it makes you soft in your decision-making, right? Because Sharon Moore, who, who went three for three on fourth down, right? Three for three, two for two. Two
1: for two, I two think. Two for
0: two on fourth down, right, in this game. It was us. It was Sharon Moore. Yep. It was Michigan, right? Because we don't have to play like that. And it was soft. Yep. It was the least soft of the soft <laughs> things I saw, but it was soft. Yeah, we're, okay. we're getting there. <laughs> number Number six. No stops in the second half, basically, right? No stops.
1: Michigan scored on every possession. They did hold up well enough to give the Ohio State offense a chance to stay in the game and a chance to win it at the end, right? They forced a couple field goals, but they didn't actually get stops. And this was the third year in a row. In the last three years, Michigan has had 17 second-half possessions. You know how many times they've punted? Once. Once, last year. Once. They've had 13 scoring possessions— one missed field goal late last year, and three kneel downs. That's the whole list. Third year in a row. They did better, absolutely. I thought the defensive line held up pretty well, and they made Michigan really grind it out, we're going to talk about that. But when they needed a stop, when they needed to get Michigan off the field without points late in that game, they couldn't do it.
0: Relatedly, and more specifically, number five, that defense got marched down the field for a glorious seven-minute Functionally game-ending, though, not quite. Yep. Field goal drive with the game on the line, right? I mean, Michigan gets the ball back after the Ohio State touchdown, up three with like eight minutes left. Yeah, just over
1: eight minutes on the clock.
0: They march those asses down the field as slowly, as humanly, physically possible, play by play.
1: It was kind of funny because – a couple people around us you know we have a, a good group including a couple former players who sit around us and there were some jokes when michigan took possession just over eight minutes left around like all right time for a an eight minute drive here to end the game and i said something like i mean they've got timeouts and like you can't really put together an eight minute drive in this situation to end the game and they almost fucking did
0: if not for seven the fact- minutes that Blake Corum picked up fourteen on first down on one of the plays, and that happened. Right. Like I, as I rewatched it last night, I, I, you know, I'm looking and I go, man, if he just has the awareness, it was just about at the two minute mark. Yep. I'm like, if he has the awareness to just get nine. Right. That's the end of the game because we're going to pick up second and one and or third and one. There's just no fucking way. And running one more playoff would have done it. Right. Like it was just they really did. And when when you, you know, get your ass, marched down the fucking field like that, when you know that a stop is the thing you need to have it, it's a must have. It's an absolute must have. And you can't get it weak. Soft. You want to know who didn't do that? Rod Moore. Yep, We needed a stop too, huh? You want to know who got it? Not your ass. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, okay, that was my number five. All right. Number four, the way that they handled the end of the first half was absolutely it. fireable. It was <laughs> so bad. I mean, the playing for a 52-yard field goal Was so You have Marvin Harrison Jr. Oh,
1: right, and just to lay out the sequence here, right? So Ohio State, if I remember correctly, they completed a a pass to Cade Stover to set up 4th and 2, and he goes down with 39 seconds left in the half at the Michigan 35. Right, so 4th and 2, and if you call timeout right after Stover goes down, you've got about 38 seconds left to try to get, you know, you presumably go for it on 4th down. And either you give yourself a chance to score a touchdown, when at that point you're down four. Or at the very least, you set up a more makeable field goal for a kicker who has not in his career attempted a kick for more than 50 yards. Instead, they let the clock run all the way down, try the 52-yarder, and miss it. And it just it made no sense at the time. Like, you're already down in this game, right?
0: Michigan's getting the ball to Michigan's start the second half. Michigan's getting the ball half. coming out
1: of the half you probably need points. Like, if you don't get points here and Michigan comes out and puts a touchdown on the board, all of a sudden you're in the situation you were in late in 2021, late in 22, where you're down two scores and all of a sudden it's pucker time. And instead they play for a 52-yard field goal with a kicker who's never made one from that distance.
0: Terrible. Do I need to remind this man that Marvin Harrison Jr. is on his fucking team? Like – give that go max protect and give that guy two shots to catch something do anything but that
1: yeah it. uh I mean, it's so soft it's so it's weird scared. That he, yes he coaches scared in this game in a way that he doesn't in every other game and I don't know what it is exactly if it's just the pucker factor at this point that three years ago he said we're gonna hang 100 on him and he hasn't got there yet in three tries
0: 74 percent of the way but buddy just
1: that weight in this game where he can't bring himself to do anything aggressive because Sharon Moore certainly fucking did and that was a big part of when I said Sharon Moore out coached Ryan Day those were the decisions that were I mean you could argue were the difference in this game there are a lot of things that are the difference they totally
0: were I mean like the the difference in this game was that aggression and the two picks
1: Pretty much fundamentally
0: yeah. that's the difference in this game right I, I i don't really think that's debatable
1: by and large i mean there are some other things we're going to talk about like anytime there's a you know six point game that ends like that there like there are 50 different things that you know one play could have totally changed the outcome but yeah i mean ultimately the aggressiveness versus conservatism was among the things that were the differences in this game
0: and number three and i don't mean to pick on a particular player because in general like I said, I thought their players really put in the effort and played tough. And especially this one, given how good he is. Marvin Harrison Jr. on the Will Johnson pick. Yep. The effort was embarrassing. Like, right. I Will want Johnson, you to watch that yes. play again. because And watch
1: after the pick. Because Will Johnson steps in front and intercepts it and takes off on a return. And Marvin Harrison Jr. just gives up. Doesn't even pursue for a second. He says, "That's not mine. I'm out." And that's the kind of shit that I, I, you've probably seen by now. If you're listening to this podcast, Roman Wilson's quote from after the game.
0: But- yeah, I don't actually think he was talking about Marvin Harrison Jr. It turns out that Denzel Burke is a Louis Vuitton wearer as well. Fair enough. So perhaps the quotes are about he may not Burke. Have been specifically- like, listen, if I'm Roman Wilson, the last thing I'm going to do is flame Marvin Harrison Jr. Because like he's so fucking good. He's so much better than. Oh, you. he's an
1: unbelievable player. He's one of the best receivers I've ever seen in college football. I have no like disdain for Marvin Harrison as a player. He's a great player. But you're right. That was fucking soft.
0: He gave and up. He totally gave up. He gave up on
1: the play. And, and I do think Roman Wilson, I mean, from the comments that he made... It may not have been Harrison, but I still think that the way that he phrased it kind of implies that he's talking about Harrison. But
0: why is he watching Harrison on film? Like, he would should be watching Burke on film. Like, it makes more sense for him to be observing a defensive back than it does for him to be observing a receiver. It doesn't really make sense.
1: That's maybe true. I, I guess I don't know. Like, we're probably never going to know the truth to that unless Roman Wilson comes out and says, which he may very well do. Yeah, he's Roman crazy. Because Roman Wilson will say anything. He's yeah. the joker. But yeah, he said, when asked if Ohio State has gotten tougher over the last few years, Quote, no, definitely not. I told the receivers this whole week, and this is a thing I thought too. Guys who want to put put on the Louis Vuitton, the $1,000 outfit, you want to act hard. But when we're out there, they're not hard. I see the film. You're not tough. And I don't think I'm the toughest guy in the world, but I'm out there. I'm getting physical. I don't think they wanted it like I wanted it. That is savage. And I think when he's – I mean, the reason I say that I think he may still be talking about Marvin Harrison, even if Burke also wears the Louis Vuitton, is – when I'm out there, I'm getting physical. I mean, I think he's talking about as a receiver, I'm blocking. I will take you on. And Marvin Harrison, on the flip side, is giving up on a, on a return that sets Michigan up inside the ten yard line for the for the first touchdown of the game. Well,
0: right. That's the thing is, you know, Michigan ends up with that ball at like to seven, right? Yep. After That's right. after Will Johnson returns the pick and it feels like it matters that it's the seven and not the 12. Right, because they're you know? able to
1: just kind of grind it in through four plays and punch it in on fourth. and. I mean, they probably scored on the third down play, but they punch it in on fourth and one, and all of a sudden, after a, a pretty clunky first quarter, Michigan's up 7 nothing. and it's like, okay, we're – we're going. We're doing this.
0: But I'm saying, if you make Michigan go those five more yards, yep. like, you don't know that it ends up like that. But he does not. He doesn't. Number one, I don't think he really. Roman, Roman, or uh, I'm sorry, Will Johnson runs that route for him, basically, Correct. right? He which that I'm RPO sure. And cuts in front of him. Which I'm sure Kyle McCord doesn't see that often. How many defensive <laughs> no. backs can do that? But uh, he does it. And instead of like. You know, to contrast, right, Mike Barrett almost picks off Cade Stover at, you know, at the opposite end. Yes. And Stover, as soon as he sees that that's going awry, he is hand fighting Mike Barrett to break that ball He goes into full
1: defensive back mode and and pulls the ball down out of Barrett's hands for an incompletion. There was
0: none of that from Marvin Harrison Jr. There was none of it to be had. He didn't try. He didn't try to slow Will Johnson up. He didn't try to bring him. He fully quits on the play. Yep. Right. It's soft. It's soft. I'm sorry. It is. And I, I've seen Ohio State fans. I like.
1: Yeah, we're not the only ones saying this. Ohio State fans are on it, too. And they're saying this is emblematic. Of, they were
0: comparing it to a, a play that um, Maurice Claret made.
1: That's right. In the national championship against Miami in '02, They throw a pick, and it looks like Miami's going to run it back for a touchdown. And Maurice Claret pursues from the backside and drags the guy down just before he gets into the open field. And Ohio State wins the fucking national championship in overtime. That's the kind of play that, like... If you're going to win a national championship, at some point you have to have that play.
0: Right. Someone's got to make that. And just Marvin Harrison Jr. doesn't make it. Right. He's he a up. great player. He's the best, probably the best receiver I've ever fucking seen. But he gave up. He quit.
1: Yep. What's totally next?
0: quit. Okay. Number two. I'm glad you gave us that Roman Wilson quote because it's relevant. <laughs> um, the Ohio State defensive backs coach oh is God. in Roman Wilson's Instagram comments <laughs> replying to him about this.
1: Replying to him in the, like, essentially talking shit about Roman Wilson's touchdown catch, which we'll get to when we talk about the Michigan offense, right? Claiming that it should have been an interception and, you know, just, it, it's embarrassing. Like, you are an assistant coach for Ohio State, and after that loss, you're in Michigan players' Instagram comments talking shit, Great. questioning the officiating. He says,
0: dude, you sound stupid. You were not tough. OBTW oh, is that? Oh, by the way, I don't even I know what so. that means. Like, use English. <laughs> We took the ball from you on the INT and refs gave you a lucky call. Like he's in there bitching about, the, officiating about the Refs <laughs> In Roman Wilson's Instagram comments. Like That's be a be embarrassing serious. down
1: bad behavior. Soft. Yep.
0: Absolutely soft. It, your your coaching staff is like getting out there publicly to leave comments on Roman Wilson's fucking Instagram shit. Is so, so unbelievably soft. It is, and that's the kind of shit where I'm like, okay, you know, you can play tougher, and they certainly did in most respects, but, like, no, in your bones, you're not fucking tough. You're fucking soft, and that's the kind of shit where I'm like, get out of here. Your coaching
1: staff is fucking online making excuses. That's the thing, right? There's never anything that we needed to do better. There's always an excuse, and it's the same way with the Ohio State fan base. It's the same thing we were talking about. You can always delegitimize it, and when the coaching staff is doing it, I think that's what you're talking about. When you're institutionally soft. Yes. You don't make excuses. You get fucking better. And that's not what Ohio State's doing. They're still not doing it after three years of losing to Michigan. Basically the same way.
0: Right. I mean, I saw it and I said, you're right. You're right. Nothing's ever your fault. Don't change anything. Exactly. You're you're beautiful and perfect. Money, please. (laughs) You know, like, be serious. Oh, my God. And then last, but absolutely not least... Ohio State football never posted the final score.
1: It has been about 51 hours since the game ended. And as of right now, Ohio State has not posted an original tweet since a Marvin Harrison catch in the third quarter. Everything else is just retweets of CJ Stroud and other people in the NFL doing shit. It just football, college football ceased to exist as of about 3 30 p.m. on Saturday.
0: Like soft. They've like limited their comments and oh, shit. Yeah. Like pathetic. <laughs> oh my God. That's so institutionally soft. Top to bottom. That's your whole culture is soft. It's so, you got so used to winning and being pampered. And now someone punched you in the mouth and you don't even know what to do except cry and turn off your Instagram comments soft. Do you hear me? Do you fucking Ohio State fans? If you're listening, I don't know why you would do this to yourselves, but soft,
1: soft,
0: soft. It's also a four letter word, but unlike Ohio, it has four distinct letters that you have to remember. So it's going to be real fucking tough. Soft.
1: Can we get an honorable mention soft for the post before the game of the players dancing?
0: Oh, my yeah. God. So deeply cringe. <laughs> so, so cringe.
1: I mean, uh, watching Kyle McCord do his little, you know, his, he's got his moves and his little like step back jumper. And then some of the receivers, it's, it's all like TikTok dance bullshit. And it's just so emblematic of TikTok ass program.
0: Meanwhile, Mike Barrett mo- <laughs> is like, I'll die on this field. <laughs> he literally <laughs> That's said right. that.
1: Michigan posted the, uh, the postgame kind of uh, highlight package, whatever you want to call it. the little like two minute video, the more cinematic version. That they've been doing after games. And there's a clip early in that video, if you haven't seen it yet, from the locker room Mike Barrett talking to the team. And he says, I'm going to leave it all on this field. I'm ready to die on this field for all you boys. And that's just so indicative. Michael Barrett is ready to fucking die on that field. And the Ohio State players are doing TikTok dances at midfield. Like, come on. (laughs) Most TikTok ass program this side of USC. Correct. And they have the results in this game to show for it.
0: Yeah. That was it. It was so, and that's not to, even to mention all of the soft that the fan base has been giving me, right? Which yeah, is like you like, said,
1: that's a whole separate category. That's a whole, but like, we'll
0: start with um, Rod Moore's elbows are not a football. <laughs> um, we'll start, if you haven't seen that, please. They're circling Rod Moore's elbows on the pick and being like, see, the ball touches the ground. It's like my brother in Christ, he's just black. <laughs> right. I don't that's know what, what elbow to looks fucking like, tell then if you, you see the
1: other angles, the ball is clearly up to his chest and not on the ground at all
0: oh my god and then they're they're arguing about roman wilson and his thing roman wilson touchdown and you know everything is a conspiracy against them everything is
1: don't forget that michigan has 44 seniors so all the good players are going to be gone and then the ncaa is going to just crater this program it's never going to be relevant again because that's what happens in college football
0: like, yeah. Come on. I no, one of the bucknuts guys actually said never will be relevant right. again. Yep. And I was like, I'm I'm ascending actually. This is Valhalla. <laughs> <Yeah>. Like inject <laughs> like, this straight like, into my veins. See, you'll be fucking awesome. So serious. <laughs> never in the history of this sport has Michigan not been relevant. Like what you're saying is so outrageous. I was like, I'm ascending.
1: Fantasyland. It's amazing. It's
0: so good. It's such outrageous. Outra- oh, and then would B- Bill Rabinowitz is like, is this not a push off on like every other, like shut the Right, where's a f- pruder
1: filming like third down conversions where receivers are hand fighting and trying to like adjudicate whether that should have been a penalty that ended a Michigan like. Stop whining and be a better football team, in the words of Biff Pogie.
0: I can't. I I, I would like to actually, I don't know how much of this I did in 2016. I don't really remember. I don't feel like I did a lot of it. I think I was just apoplectic, arguing about whether or not JT was short. I now realize how sad that is. Like, y'all are sad, actually. I'm never going to be that person again because you look fucking dumb. You look stupid. Soft. Everybody is soft. Winning has made you soft. You deserve this suffering inshallah more of it for you okay okay
1: so on that note before we get to the like specific game items we wanted to discuss do you think this is it for ryan day because that's the debate going on right now mostly among the ohio state fan base
0: no i don't and i honestly think i think number one i think they performed well enough that like had had another last year happened where it's like double digits. Yeah, if they at the lose end, this game by
1: three touchdowns, I'm not sure Ryan Day's on the bus back to Columbus.
0: Right. So I think they it was like close enough. And frankly, I think they have found a new head that they want to roll, and it's McCords. For like, I, I don't think that's fair. But they're like, you know, I, I we talked about this a little bit. You you mentioned that you know it, it felt like 2016, except the reverse outcome, yeah. which is probably true, right? Like. Spate had the back-breaking turnovers in that game. The one yeah, inside the, the 10 in the and a pick six, right. right? And those were the difference in a game that went to double overtime or whatever. Yep. And it feels like this game, you know, we got the inverse of, of that game. And you said that, and you're probably right, but when I, when we were during the game experiencing it, I was like, it feels like 2017, except... They're the ones with the black hole at quarterback. Like they're the, and, but he wasn't that bad. He wasn't fully I black I McCord actually level. played
1: pretty well. I mean, we'll talk about this more also, but and he made so- a couple critical mistakes. And had a couple of like, oh, I'm panicked, I'm just going to throw it nowhere, sort of throws. But otherwise, he was pretty effective. So I didn't think it was that severe. No, but
0: I think that, that Ohio State fans are like, it's McCord, obviously. Like, the picks are the difference in the game. And yeah. so they found a new witch, right? Like, Ryan Day might not be the witch anymore. M- the quarterback play might be the witch. At which point... That's fair. Like, McCord's going to take the heat for this more so than Day is. Like, I kind of think because the fact that it was close... And that really the turnovers are the difference in the game, and Ryan Day can't control the turnovers, that like maybe he's kind of bought himself a reprieve. I just think, I just think Kyle McCord's the new witch.
1: I think that's probably fair. It also doesn't seem like, I mean, again, this is a pretty <laughs> heated, ongoing debate among the Ohio State fan base, but I don't get the sense that there's a ton of incentive to pull that cord now. A, because it's very unlikely, but Ohio State could still back into the playoff this year. And B, next year you've got the 12 team playoff where. Shit, even if you can't beat Michigan, if you can beat everybody else, like Ryan Day has been doing, it may not really matter in the path to a potential national championship. So they might say, you know what, we're going to take our chances and kind of see how it plays out for at least another year. That's my expectation at this point. That's
0: what I would do. But one of the things I think is the funniest is... I've seen a lot of this right there there's a certain contingent that definitely wants to fire day into the fucking sun and then everybody else is like but he's you know 56 and 7 or whatever his record is and they're like who else are we gonna get that's really going to meaningfully outperform that and I'm just laughing. They were like, if you, if you fire this guy, having achieved at this level, who's going to want to take that job. And I remember having the exact same conversation about Jim Harbaugh, like to the T in like 2018.
1: And even Don Brown, when we were ready to pull that cord, right. It was like, we had a top five defense in the country pretty consistently. He just, he can't beat Ohio state. So if you go to somebody else, Maybe they can beat Ohio State, but what if they can't? And they're also worse at other things that we're currently pretty fucking good at. Right. That's a really tough decision. We
0: had the exact same, like, before 2020 when stuff got, like, very, very bad. 2018, like, after the 2018 season, we were talking about Jim Harbaugh the exact same way. Yeah, that's right. Exact same way. Right, it's just funny to see because I remember, be, I remember explicitly well, well, being how
1: like, <laughs> "Who are
0: we going to get that's better?" Yeah. Right, like well, this is our prodigal son that came back to coach Michigan, and if we fire him, who the fuck is taking this job? Like, I remember saying that, yeah, almost we definitely word had these for conversations, word, <laughs> right? And so it's just kind of wild to see how much the tables have turned there. It's fascinating. Oh,
1: the turntables! All right, want to talk about the game itself? Sure. So Michigan on offense. Let's start there. It was kind of a grind. Totally. I mean, we said these were the two you know, statistically best defenses in the country and kind of felt like it was going to be that sort of game. And, you know, you made the point that Ohio State managed to hold Michigan's run game pretty well in check in a way they hadn't for, you know, certainly in 2021. And then even last And they last did year, it
0: without, like, massively overloading the box. Correct.
1: They didn't give up the huge plays behind it. And that was something that I don't know that we really were sure whether they could do that. You know they'd done it to everybody else, but they hadn't played an offense anywhere near Michigan's level this season. And you know to see them do it, I guess some credit is due there. But you made the point about the turnovers, and I mean for me, JJ versus Kyle McCord was one of the key differences in this game. Right, JJ turfed his first throw if you remember, and then from there went 15 for 18 for 148 yards, so about seven and a half yards per attempt. Had the one touchdown that was an absolutely Absolutely ridiculous throw and probably a half dozen massive third down conversions, mostly with his arm, but he had the one with his legs too. If you remember, I believe it was on that extended drive where he's rolling out and then cuts up field and, and picks up about a dozen yards. Yeah. He was obviously not fully 100% because you could tell Michigan limited him in the run game. I don't think there was a design JJ run in this game.
0: No, and I mean, I'm curious about uh, we heard Sam Webb in the post game. Um, suggesting that that was part of the reason for the the orgy package right was that they didn't feel like they were in a position to run those plays with JJ um, so that's a kind of interesting development I suppose
1: it was yeah so he, they limited him in some regards but when the plays had to be made he by and large made them and didn't make any of the critical mistakes that Kyle McCord made and, and just to go back to that throw to Roman Wilson I mean we've seen a few angles of it now and that's just a like, sweet Jesus throw. I mean, he's got Wilson bracketed with a linebacker inside, and he's watching Wilson run kind of a a post with man coverage behind him. And as soon as that linebacker from the middle of the field turns his head to look for Wilson and try to locate him, J.J. throws an absolute fucking laser right past his ear hole into Wilson's hands at, like, the three-yard line in stride, which allows him to turn it up and get into the end zone before Burke kind of wrestles the ball away at the end. And I will say, watching that on replay, it wasn't actually that close to a non-catch. I know the Ohio State fans are talking shit about this, but he catches the ball both hands at about the three, pulls it up to his body, and it's as he pulls it into his body and has taken two steps, that's when Burke gets his hands on it and starts trying to wrestle it away. But they're well into the end zone, you know, well past the goal line, at which point it's already a touchdown and nothing, you know, nothing after that matters, so... It really wasn't that close to being a non-catch or an interception or whatever Ohio State fans want it to be in their heads.
0: No, I didn't really think so either. Um, one thing I will say about that throw is J.J. had some press availability today, and he yeah. gave an amazing quote. I don't, know, I don't know anything as well as he knows Ohio State's defensive tape, apparently, <laughs> because he said, I was just doing film study all week on number 25, and whenever he turns his head, he doesn't look at the quarterback. So once I saw him put eyes on Roman, I knew he was only covering the width of his shoulders and I just let it rip. Like So he knew his tendency. Like He just knew damn well that he was not going to turn back around and see that ball coming. I mean, this right. was very similar to the one he had in the Michigan State game.
1: That's exactly the comparison I was going to make when he throws to Loveland.
0: Right by what's his face. Cal sh- Halladay. That was like that shitty right. linebacker. When
1: you see a linebacker turning to run in coverage, you know he's not going to be able to make a play on the ball. And that's exactly what J.J. does here. You can see from like the end zone view, he's looking at that linebacker knowing if that guy turns his head or moves out of the way, I'm throwing the post to Roman Wilson. And the instant he turns his head, laser, right into Wilson's hands, right between the two players. It's an unbelievable throw. A very great players make great plays throw. And same is true on the uh, – I mean, he had a couple ridiculous throws in this game, but another one was on the seven-minute drive when they get up to about midfield – and they have a, I believe it's a second and seven, and J.J. rolls out to his right and throws back across his body to the middle of the field to Cornelius Johnson, and Johnson has to make kind of a, a lunging across his body catch to get it to third and one. I mean, that was a huge throw because, I mean, if you throw that away there or you run out of bounds, you're setting up third and six, third and seven against a secondary that's been you know pretty effective. Uh, obviously, J.J. was reasonably efficient, but... It's not like they were you know, chunking the ball down the field consistently. And in that situation, to get those six yards, set up the third and one, and another conversion to keep the clock moving, that was just such a huge play. It was a horrifying throw.
0: Oh, I hated it.
1: <laughs> All the way back across the field with a, a linebacker trying to undercut it. That's the kind of throw you only make if you have like unfathomable levels of confidence in your arm strength and your accuracy, to put it where only Cornelius Johnson can catch it before the linebacker can make a play on it. And that's exactly what he did. Also want to talk about the tight ends. They were huge in this game. I mean, the matchup, I think we kind of knew that the matchup with the Ohio State linebackers was pretty promising because those guys are good run defenders. Their liabilities in coverage. And Michigan really paid that off. I mean, Colston Loveland was pretty easily Michigan's leading receiver in this game. Had five catches for 88 yards. You also had the Barner uh, tight end delay route to set up the Blake Corum touchdown. Uh, so, the tight ends I, I thought really uh, Loveland in particular really were the uh the kind of difference maker for Michigan in the passing game. They were consistently where jJ was going with the ball, and the Ohio State linebackers just could not hang.
0: yeah, I mean, we kind of thought that linebackers and coverage was going to be a weakness for both teams yep um, Michigan came out on the the better end of that trade off, I think, with the exception of um Jimmy Rolder when he was in the game. Yeah. That was...
1: There was also one bust on the Marvin Harrison Jr. crossing route touchdown that I think tied it at 17, if I'm remembering right.
0: That seems right. But, like, Michael Barrett was very, very good in coverage in this game. Like, we'll, we'll talk about that later. But in general, you know, we thought linebackers and coverage was going to be something that was going to be interesting for both teams. And uh, I think Loveland and Barner got the better of, of that matchup for sure.
1: Absolutely. In the running game... Like we talked about, it was, it was tough sledding. <laughs> and yet, you know, sacks and kneel downs excluded. Michigan averaged four and a half yards per carry. Didn't really feel like it, but they did get there. And it was very much, uh, you know, you talked about the seven-minute drive. When they needed yards, for the most part, they got the yards they needed to extend drives. And it just, uh, I might have said this before, but it felt to me a lot like that 2022 drive that spanned the end of the third quarter, early fourth quarter where Ohio State said, all right, we don't, want to, we don't want to get beat over the top anymore. We're going to keep a safety back. And Michigan just pounded it and pounded it and pounded it. And this drive just, it felt the same way. Obviously, it was hugely important to the the way the fourth quarter played out. And Blake Quorum in particular. I mean, he didn't have huge numbers. He finished with 88 yards, but just absolute king shit. 22 carries, including eight on that seven-minute drive. I mean, the end of that drive, like the last two series, we're, just, we're riding Blake Corum to see how far he can take us. And obviously he had two of the biggest offensive plays of the game with the touchdown on the play immediately after the Zinter injury when the stadium just felt <laughs> – it didn't feel good at that no, point. No,
0: the air had been really sucked out of that place.
1: Right. I mean, it's a tie game. Zinter's just gone down. It doesn't feel super encouraging.
0: Right. Your run game is already feeling stuffed up, and your, inter- your guards and you know, the interior of your line is the best part of your run game, right? right. And, you're like, and now you've Fuck. lost maybe
1: the best lineman in the country. And yeah, just it was, uh, it, it was not a good time in the stadium. And all of a sudden, a few seconds later, they run duo. They give the ball to Corum. He sells going off the, uh, the backside, the right side, gets a linebacker, I think Steel Chambers, to bite, put himself in the wrong gap creates an opening for him to cut through on the left, juke Sonny Styles out of his shoes and he's gone.
0: Five star Sonny Styles. Five star by the way. Sonny
1: Styles. I mean, it, all, all of a sudden it just explodes, right? And then he puts up the six five, the which we couldn't see in the stadium, but you know, seeing it on T V quorums yeah, just everything to this team. And uh, and then even at the end of the um you know toward the end of the drive at the end of the game, the one you mentioned where he breaks outside and, and gets the first down, probably would have been better if he'd gotten nine (laughs) but he gets 14 gets the first down and that initiates ohio state calling its first time out which really kind of sets up the you know limited time at the end of the game for them to put a drive together and just the goat he's the best michigan running back i've ever seen and uh yeah he left a legacy that's for sure
0: he's two touchdowns shy of the all-time record
1: that's right he's got 53 in his career now and i think he set the single season record in this game right he did hassan haskins
0: with 22
1: yeah I think we want to talk some about the fourth down decisions for Michigan.
0: Yeah, we loved it. One million out of ten. Good for you, Sharon Moore. Amazing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think they were particularly hard decisions early in the game. Like, fourth and one in the game, you know points are going to be at a premium, and you convert twice. I mean, I thought the calls were great, too. The first one, they go with the wedge, and they get a yard and a half when they need a yard. And then the second one, they fake it, and they throw the the little rollout to, uh, to Colston Loveland.
0: I will say, in general, throwing on fourth down terrifies me. Like, I get it. Like, you need the tendency breaker. Yeah. But, like, sometimes dudes just drop passes.
1: I mean, the counterpoint is that sometimes you get... And Mecca Ibuka dropped
0: a critical pass in this game, right? Like, people who catch fucking balls will sometimes just not catch them. And I was like, I didn't watch any of the fourth down plays in this game. (laughs) Only like, on a
1: replay. I, not I did live. not
0: in live. Live, I just turned my face into like Matt's coat and buried it like a horror movie, and was like, "Just tell me what happens." I did not watch any of them in real time. I mean,
1: I thought the, the play action was a great call because Ohio State sells out off the edge, and we've seen that a couple times this year, where Michigan runs the wedge and they run the wedge, and they you know they run it a few times in a game because they don't think anybody can stop it, and sometimes you get a guy off the edge crashing inside before the tight end or whoever can get to him, and he blows it up. And when you know Ohio State's going to be selling out hard because you just ran it. And then you fake it and you just flip it outside. I mean, J.J. McCarthy to Colston Loveland, I'll take that combination anytime. Like, sure, sometimes the ball gets dropped, but trust your great players to make great plays.
0: I get it. It was just scary. (laughs) It was right, but it was scary.
1: The more debatable decision, I guess, was the one at the end of the game, right, where they set up at at fourth and four. And they line up looking like they're going to go for it. They try to draw them off sides and then they take the timeout and they kick the field goal. We were kind of debating that live, like should should they go here? Should they just try to end it? Maybe. I thought the more interesting decision actually was the one, the play before that, the third and six.
0: The third and six was fascinating because Ryan Day elects not to take his timeout.
1: Right, they have one timeout left at that point, and after the second down play, he doesn't take it. He, he lets take the clock it. run, and I said at the time.
0: What's he doing? Because he just right. opened up the playbook He for kind us. of
1: made your decision for you. Because with him having one timeout left, you know if you run it inside and get two yards or whatever, then he's going to call his timeout. And the clock's going to stop anyway. So you might as well pull out whatever you got right a, the a pass, incompletion whatever.
0: doesn't matter for time running off purposes right. because he's going to call time out immediately after the play anyway two seconds is coming off the clock no matter right. what it doesn't matter he's so open the clock's the gonna stop no
1: matter you. what yeah you've got the decision now made for you that like i can throw this and it's not really going to affect the clock i can go for the first down here and ultimately michigan didn't decide to do that i thought they probably should have given the situation but you know they run it inside they get two yards and then they kick the field goal which Again, that one is debatable. I wouldn't have minded just trying to end the game right there. I don't think that would have been necessarily the wrong decision. But I will say that with a minute left in the game, or you know, just over a minute at that point, there's a pretty big difference between making Ohio State go 75, 80 yards for a touchdown or 40-ish yards to get into field goal range.
0: Yeah, I probably kick.
1: I think I do too. I
0: probably kick there. But... I also throw the ball on third down, I think.
1: Yeah, that, that's really where I'm at is I think you need to be more aggressive to try to end the game on third down if you're not going to go on fourth I down. I
0: mean, the math is different, right? You, let's say you throw on third down and it's fourth and one. I mean, at that point, I'm going. Oh, I sure, think I'm yeah. ending this game, right? right. I'm, but fourth and four because, you know, you only got two yards on third and six. Like, I think I might have been a little more aggressive on third and six and said, either I can end this or I can set up sh- fourth and short, at which point, you know, this is... This, this team is fourth and short o'clock. This is what we're here for, right?
1: Fourth and short o'clock. And
0: so like... <laughs>
1: well, and that was just another, I mean, I thought it was another poor game management move by Ryan Day. Like we talked about some of those early and...
0: Yeah, taking that... This was that- another
1: one that it doesn't make sense. You take your time out early, make them make the decision of, am I going to run and take those extra 40 seconds or am I going to throw and risk not? But when you let them take the 40 seconds after second down... Again, you've given them that option. Michigan didn't take it, which I thought was probably overly conservative, but Ryan Day did not handle that well, as with several other game management decisions here.
0: Yeah, I didn't think that was a particularly good game management decision either. It wasn't nearly as bad as the end of the first half, which no, I thought that was, was pathetic. Worse. But it, I didn't think that was great.
1: In terms of like game planning stuff on offense, it was... I mean, I said it was a little clunky early in the game. Some of that, I think, was JJ being a little off with his first couple throws, but... Ultimately, they did have some stuff in the bag. Most of it we saw in the second half, right? The Donovan Edwards toss pass in particular, I mean, that was huge. Got them into field goal range to, I think, extend the lead to 10, if I remember right, which, uh, which series that was on. We also saw the orgy package that you mentioned earlier, where we hadn't really seen him doing, like, anything in the kind of normal flow of the game in months. But it sounded like with J.J. being a little banged up, they didn't think that he could necessarily run that effectively, so they brought Orgy in, and he got the nice chunk run to get them into kind of scoring range on that possession. They also had, you know, we've seen the Samaj Morgan jet sweep several times this year, and there was one that I thought was a nice little wrinkle where they fake the jet sweep and try to get Edwards outside on the other the other edge, and that was one where he he, he just missed it. Like, he kind of slows up, gets a guy to bite inside, tries to accelerate off the edge, and gets pulled down from behind just as he's about to accelerate into the open field. And that was, I thought, a nice, uh, you know, a nice play design, even though it didn't really pay off in terms of big yards. So it wasn't necessarily like you know, flea flicker, double reverse, like really crazy stuff that they necessarily drew up just for this game. So maybe not as much as we hoped for. But there was some stuff in the bag. There was you know, those designs. We saw more play action than we'd seen from Michigan in a while. Again, maybe not as much as we wanted, but, but some. Um, and I, I think we expected that. You know, the last couple of years, they've always had a few things in the bag. And I thought this one held true to form.
0: Yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. First half, we definitely were like, where is it? Where's the fun stuff? But we got it. It was there. I think it was a matter
1: of of adjusting kind of figuring out what Ohio State was doing and then figuring out where to kind of sprinkle in the things that they thought would best take advantage of that. One other thing on offense, before we get to the defense, JT Tui Moloow, I mean, (laughs) we've been hearing all year, like, this is a different player. And with the way Michigan's tackles, Carson Barnhart in particular, have struggled the last couple weeks, this was going to be a concern, right? It was Tui Moluel against Barnhart and Ohio State getting pressure. I think JTT had one pressure in this game. I mean, ultimately, the offensive line held up basically just as well as last year. They had one sack when Michael Hall spun off of Zach Zinter and came through on the interior. And I think Jack Sawyer had two or three pressures. He had a couple where he got around the right edge he was mostly going up against Barnhart and a couple times was able to beat him with speed and JJ had to step up and and roll out that was where some of his improv throws came into play Mm -hmm. but again I mean they pretty much put JTT in a blender one pressure when he spun off of Ladarius Henderson and otherwise I didn't see a a meaningful play from him in this game in in terms of pass rush
0: yeah he was good against the run they were all good against the run really but in you know in the uh, we're very very worried about Carson Barnhart way like not so much
1: no no it was fine Obviously, the Zinter injury is pretty devastating. I mean, he's out for the year, certainly, and in, in, uh, is going to be in for a, a meaningful recovery from a broken leg after he had surgery uh, Saturday night. But I will say, Michigan is probably one of the few teams in the country with the O line depth to actually survive something like that, thanks in large part to Trente Jones, who came in. They shifted Barnhart into guard and put Jones in at tackle, and there was little to no drop off there, maybe even an upgrade. From what we'd seen at, at tackle. Obviously, Zintra to Barnhart's gonna be a downgrade, but I mean, he's a dude who stayed and now he's got the chance to, you know, play his role on an offensive line, hopefully going into uh, you know, obviously a big ten title game and, and maybe a, a shot at a national championship.
0: For sure. Good on him. Defense time? Sure. I thought Ohio State had a pretty good offensive game plan here. And one of the things that I was frankly shitting my pants about i think we'll (laughs) talk about this drive in particular but you know ohio state had a drive i think in the third quarter maybe it was early for they michiganed us yeah right where they they ran it eight times in a row they like walked us down the field and i was like well fuck this does not feel good right i think it was the drive that tied at 17 to 17 and i hated it i hated every minute of it but one thing that we talked about right is i made that reference to the thing Joel Klatt said during the Penn State game, which is like good play callers don't get bored taking a profit or whatever. Yep. And I thought Ryan Day was much better at that this time. I mean, like when the run was working, he really did, like at least for bits and pieces, like stick with that. And I was a little concerned. I'm not sure I articulated this well in the preview episode, but one of the things I was a little concerned about is when we were talking at the game, And we were talking about the game planning, like probably at halftime or whatever. Like we're sitting there, the bands are playing. We're having this conversation. And we are talking about the game planning and how good really Michigan's game plans have been in this series in Harbaugh's tenure, regardless of whether or not we've won those games. And, you know, we were talking about leaning on your – like the way that, you know, in the past it's like they've leaned on their defense. They've tried to put their quarterback in a position not to like – make mistakes and and you know and that's what they've done and you gotta you gotta try to run run the ball and ball control kind of all of the Michigan stuff and we're talking a little bit about how like that was necessitated because Michigan didn't have the quarterback play to really do it any other way at any point in the Harbaugh tenure until now right and what I was a little bit worried about, I think, was maybe that Ryan Day was going to figure out that that was maybe the smarter way to play this game by default. He's because going to fall ass the, backwards
1: into a, a into, better game plan. Into
0: a better game plan because McCord isn't Stroud or Fields or Haskins, right? And he, I felt like he kind of did that a little bit. Like they, they figured out that protecting him and putting him maybe not in a position to make as many of these mistakes – Worked better, he made them anyway.
1: He did make <laughs> but like a couple, yeah.
0: Y- you know, they're, they're, when they were like, when they walked us down the field like that, I was like, fuck.
1: I will say that drive, I was pretty frustrated because two of the key plays on it were just egregious missed holding calls. Now, I'm not usually a like, oh my God, that's holding, that's holding kind of guy. I mean, you know, a lot of times you're calling stuff out and I'm like, yeah, that's probably, not, that's not really yeah, stuff you're going to get the call. On. He
0: yells at me a lot because I think holding <laughs> should be called way more than he does.
1: But on the th- there was a third down conversion, I think, near midfield, like a third and one, third and two, where they give it to Henderson and Kenneth Grant's penetrating to make the tackle. And he just gets, like, uh, he gets a- an arm around his neck and just spun around out of the hole. And he comes up throwing his arms up in the air. And you watch the replay, and it's like, well, yeah, that's holding 100 times out of 100. That's a bad miss. And then literally the next play, Chip Tranum bounces one out to the left side, tries to get the corner. And Josh Wallace is out there. And as he gets – has. Tranum tries to get outside him. Wallace gets turned around, away from the running back. I mean, the guy gets outside of his shoulder pad and just pulls. Right, him like inside.
0: not at all a natural direction for Wallace to be going. Absent getting right. spun around by. And someone. normally
1: on the edge, I mean, there's a there's an official on the sideline. That's a call that never gets missed because you're looking right at it. And so it was frustrating that you know that was so much of that drive. And then I do think Michigan played it pretty conservatively. I think they were kind of expecting that. Okay, they're not actually going to keep running this. They're going to pull it. They're going to go play action and try to put it. In the Ryan Day
0: is going to get bored making a profit. And he kind of
1: called their bluff, and, and it, it worked. So, uh, yeah, that's another one where i got to give him some credit. I thought he also had, uh, I think it was on Ohio State's first touchdown drive, if I remember it, right, where they got into a third and eight near the, the Michigan 20, 25-yard line. Yeah, and they motion a receiver in and run a draw into a Michigan stunt. And get like 11 yards and
0: god that was a good play call it was, was a really pissed. good play call yeah. i was fucking so that pissed. was
1: you know what i said off the top was i thought strategically he probably called the best game that i think he's had in this series but there were enough other things that kind of made up for it elsewhere
0: yeah yeah
1: will johnson versus marvin harrison i thought was maybe the most interesting part of the game i mean both guys got theirs to some extent at least until johnson went out with apparently an aggregate aggravation of an uh, lingering ankle injury. I think that was early second half, sometime in the third quarter. I didn't see exactly when he took his last yeah, snap. Yeah, I
0: mean, I think it was at or around the time that Zinter went out. Okay. Like third quarter sometime.
1: Yeah, it was definitely in the third quarter, um, but I, I didn't catch exactly when his last snap was. But anyway, at that point, it was mostly Mikey Sane was still on Harrison, some Josh Wallace, a lot of safety help. I mean, all the the people who really know Ball have talked about how incredibly – complex and varied Michigan was in throwing all kinds of basically double coverage at Harrison. You know, different zones, a guy over the top, a guy bracketing him inside. Especially once Johnson went out. I think they figured this is probably the way that we lose this game as if just we can't stop Marvin Harrison. And so they went <laughs> more or less all out to avoid that, you know, to make sure that they had somebody on each side of him at all times. And still finished with five catches for 118 yards i mean he's just an absolute monster as a receiver right, one of the best college no, players i've ever seen
0: there's no stopping him it all you can do it, it feels like you gotta you know when um right like the pistons are playing the bulls in the 90s and they have like the jordan yeah. rules right like it feels like we just jordan rules them a little bit like this is we're not gonna let this guy control the game in this way yeah if other people want to beat us i suppose we'll live and die by that but like No.
1: Yeah, that was pretty much the game plan on defense. And Johnson even, I mean, I saw more straight-up man coverage from Johnson on Harrison in the first half than I expected. Me too. I mean, he was running with Johnson, or, you know, moving with Harrison, I should say, to various spots on the field and playing straight-up man. And, And he held his own. You know, he did get beat once or twice over the top. One of them actually was not on him. It was, I think, somebody busted a coverage, and he tried to get back to cover for it. That was the P.I., where he ended up dragging Harrison down, and Harrison still made the catch one-handed. Yeah. But Johnson also had the pick, right, where he sees the RPO and he undercuts the route. And, I mean, again, that was huge because the offense is kind of putzing around for the first quarter, and it's like, this feels like it's going to be a real fucking Big Ten West slugfest. And then all of a sudden you have the ball at the seven-yard line, and it's like, okay, <laughs> things just changed.
0: Now we're cooking with gas, yeah. Thank you, Will Johnson.
1: Yeah, but also, I mean, again, Mikey and Josh Wallace, they – really, I mean, Mikey especially, for a guy who really hasn't even played outside corner for most of the year, to put, to put him in that position with that job and for him to hold up pretty well. He's just, he's such a fucking gamer. Also, the hit on Trev- Trevion Henderson <laughs> in the open field home. Oh Trevion
0: Henderson has to have 40 pounds on Mikey, right? Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. Mikey's like 5'9", 180 maybe.
0: Trevion Henderson's like 230. That right. guy's a bowling ball.
1: <laughs> yeah, and Mikey absolutely laid him the fuck out and hopped up like he was jacked after that hit
0: yeah he didn't he
1: was not the one who took the worst for that
0: no um see also Quentin Johnson on <sighs> Emeka Ibuka
1: yeah that play was fascinating because Ibuka motions across the formation into the slot and Michael Barrett is the guy who's basically the the linebacker on that side the outside linebacker on that side of the formation
0: we watched this play happen in real time and when we saw Ibuka motion into like what was going to be Michael Barrett's like zone
1: right Michael Barrett is looking at this and he starts motioning like oh fuck (laughs) I've got a Mecca Ibuka running past me and he's turning around looking I think he's actually pointing to Quentin Johnson like hey I need help here like you you got to get me over the top Uh uh-huh and all of a sudden Ibuka runs right past him up the seam and we see it and Kyle McCord sees it at the same time and we're
0: like fuck me
1: (laughs) and he makes that throw he drops it in maybe a split second late but Quentin Johnson gets over and just lays the fucking wood It had very much Marcus Ray in 1997, you know, the famous Sports Illustrated cover of Marcus Ray flattening, I believe the word is flattening on the the cover of that Sports Illustrated. That's right. Uh, David Boston. And uh, yeah, I mean, there are some pictures of that hit that look incredibly reminiscent. And that was, I mean, that was a huge hit because instead of Ohio State getting the ball at midfield, they throw an incompletion on the next play, they punt. And I believe that's when Michigan takes it back down and scores again to go up by 10. And obviously, they led the rest of the way from there.
0: Huge play. Huge, huge play. Prob- it's so weird in a game that was won by a defensive play to say that like that was my favorite defensive play of the game, but it was.
1: There were some like, vibes things, because we've talked about this a little bit the last couple of years, where 2021, you've always talked about the Josh Ross tackle on Henderson, where Ohio State's in third and two, I think early third quarter. That's right. And they try to run it kind of up the middle, uh, like just like a, an inside zone handoff to Henderson and Josh Ross shoots like a fucking missile through a gap and just blows him up a yard in the backfield and you've said that was your favorite play from that game right
0: yeah favorite defensive play yes and uh, then
1: last year it, it was the Mikey, Mikey on Stover
0: in the corner it's an iconic play there is a reason that in the James Earl Jones video it That clip plays in the part where he says, we bow to no program.
1: That's exactly right.
0: And the thing about it is, and Matt can attest to this, you know, obviously they changed the clips right before the season or whatever. And so when we walked in for the opener this year and we're watching the James Earl Jones video and I'm like, I know that the Mikey clip is going to be in here. Like you just know it is. And I knew when it was going to be. Like I turned to you and I was like, It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> yeah, you did. And then I put <laughs> you I, yeah, it. And like then it then come, we bow to no program. And like and then I was like, see I, like th- that was the right moment in which to put the clip. Yep. Um that was my favorite and this one was my favorite this year. It was just it like make some fucking plays. And like so many players made a very important play in this game, right? I mean huge plays. You have of course, Will Johnson on the defense. You, of course, have Rod Morta in the game on the defense. But you also have, you know, Harrell bringing the pressure, right, on the play that results in the pick. Yeah. You have, like, there. you have Quentin Johnson laying the wood. You have Mikey Sainer still run, running Travion Henderson over. Like, there were just so many players who made critical plays when it mattered. And – This was a game where, you know, that net efficiency margin statistic that we refer to every week, like Ohio State won that battle this time, right? But we won those plays.
1: Yeah, the high leverage plays, Michigan got the vast majority of them in this game.
0: That's the difference.
1: Yeah, and and speaking of the game-ending pick, I mean, I obviously did want to talk about that a little bit, but I I think something that went somewhat unnoticed is Michigan runs a stunt on that play. They'd gotten a lot of pressure on that drive. I mean, McCord was feeling it and was trying to get rid of the ball quickly. And made a couple good throws. Obviously, the one to Harrison on the the corner route uh, the, to kind of get them out of their own end, and then the crossing route to uh, to Fleming that got knocked loose and it was a fumble. or You know, it called a catch and a fumble. Very debatable as to whether he actually had control. But
0: if Fleming had control of that, then you can't argue that Roman Wilson didn't right, have control catch of his touchdown. Vocal. Okay, yeah. pick pick a fucking interpretation <laughs> of the rule, Buckeyes.
1: Right, but so they've got the ball. Uh, at the what was it about the Michigan 40 if I remember correctly at that point something like that and Michigan runs a stunt here where Mason Graham is kind of curling around the backside and Jalen Harrow cuts inside and he puts Donovan Jackson who's probably Ohio State's best offensive lineman one of their guards on his ass very reminiscent of Aiden Hutchinson against Thayer Munford a couple of years ago in that clip you see where he's motioning like he's gesturing I'm coming for you and then he just fucking trucks him
0: yeah, it's a great call. It looked I a lot that like
1: clip. that, where Harold just runs that guy over, and then just as McCord's trying to throw the post, Harold gets him from behind and causes it to flutter, which lets Rod Moore step underneath it. Rod Moore's sitting in center field, and it's interesting because I've watched a few replays of the pick now, as you would probably expect, you know, 10 or 20, and Moore definitely baits him into this throw, which does make me wonder, like, would he have gotten there to pick it if it had been a clean unmolested throw without harold getting into into mccord's body and we're never going to know the answer to that but with the fluttering obviously Moore sees it and is able to undercut it and and you know pull it in and this is another one that was very clearly a catch i mean they confirmed it on review and and all the actual angles where you can see the front where he's bringing it up to his chest it's again not actually close
0: like not elbows
1: (laughs) no no, not elbows Uh,
0: so unserious
1: so I guess it's kind of hard to say how much that one is McCord's fault without really knowing what would have happened if he hadn't gotten hit. But he did make a couple of questionable decisions, including maybe that one. And um, you know, in a game like this, those were obviously pretty critical.
0: I mean, this was a game too where there were many opportunities for him to throw more picks. I mean, like I said, Mike Barrett yes. almost picked one off of Kate Stover, like at near the goal line, right? Yeah,
1: that one was a that one was probably a, a much worse throw. I mean, Terrible. because he throws that ball directly to Barrett, dropping into coverage. Uh, Barrett had a, a pretty impressive all-around game. I think you mentioned him earlier, but for a guy playing with a, a shoulder sprain, a linebacker, I mean, he was impressive in coverage. And um, and then Junior Colson playing with a club on his hand, had 11 tackles in this game, easily Michigan's leading tackler. And that's just the kind of thing that, like, again, you, you come back to play in these games and...
0: Talk to me about tough.
1: That's exactly right.
0: Talk to me about fucking tough.
1: That's exactly right.
0: Okay, okay.
1: Uh, I think it was Spencer Hall from the Shutdown Fullcast who said it felt all day like McCord had another one in the chamber. Like he was just itching to throw another ball to a Michigan player. And it. we were waiting around for it for a long time after the Will Johnson one. I told you... It's funny because when I, uh, oftentimes before Michigan games, when I fall asleep, I just kind of start in my head, like thinking of what's going to happen in the game, like kind of visualizing it.
0: This is very normal behavior, by the way. Very
1: normal. It just helps me fall asleep basically. And, uh.
0: Fall asleep. When I start thinking about what's going to happen in the Michigan game, I start sweating bullets. (laughs) I'm up all night in terror. I didn't sleep at all. Like I slept probably four and a half hours the night before the game. I could not fucking sleep. I'm
1: JJ McCarthy. Fucking warrior in a garden or something. (laughs) (laughs) Some of us
0: are anxious. I don't know what to tell you.
1: But I told you before the game, I said, all I could think of, all I could visualize was Kyle McCord throwing picks to linebackers and safeties. And we got the one early to Johnson. And I I just felt the same way as Spencer Hall, where I was like, no, there's there's more. There's another one in there. It's coming eventually. And we had to wait (laughs) a long time for it. But it came just in fucking time.
0: Yeah, it did. It did. He was saying that. I think I was very very nervous about this game surprise surprise yeah. you, everybody who listens to this podcast is like duh Serena you're nervous for every game but I was very nervous for this game and well, even know.
1: during the game you were like oh, I don't feel good I don't like this I said you don't ever feel good so this is not really a bad <laughs> omen this is just yeah, the normal this state is, of things this is
0: just right but you know it's obviously it's Thanksgiving right so I've seen my family on Thursday we saw my family a little bit like more of my extended family on Friday and I'm like you know at my aunt and uncle's house Matt's there with me everybody we're all there and it's like i don't know 6 30 on friday yeah and i'm f- fully hyperventilating <laughs> like i'm sitting at the like dinner table heart beating out of my chest i'm feeling the sharpness like a cartoon
1: character where it's just popping out visually no
0: that that is what it felt like and i'm like i, I can feel the like sharpness and tightness, and everybody, I'm like quiet. Everybody's like, Serena, are you okay? I'm like, no, I'm not okay. I'm like, not okay at all over yeah, you're here. You're definitely not okay. I, I was like, I, I can't do this. And then, like, we, you know, I get home and I'm just like, oh my God, it's 12. Like, it's midnight. I'm like, it's 12 hours. Freaked the fuck out. But honestly, I mean, I, I'm going to say it now that it's, I really did not expect us to win this game. And I don't think you did either. And that was. The reason that I think I was so panicked is I was feeling the weight of the narrative. I, I was feeling all of it, and I didn't expect to win either. And so it just felt fucking terrible. I felt terrible. I've never yeah. felt better, but now <laughs> I, I felt fucking terrible before this thing started.
1: Duality of man. The highs and lows. That's so real. The highs I, and lows of high school football.
0: <laughs> Did you just make a Riverdale reference? You've never even seen that shit. Nope. You've never experienced the highs and lows. There's going to be like four people listening to this. You know what I'm talking about. Don't watch Riverdale. It's bad.
1: Oh, no, it's terrible. One other thing I wanted to talk about, though, before we uh, finish up on the defense, just strategically, the way Michigan played this game, it was more or less what we expected and that they kept two, two safeties high most of the day. Right? And a lot of that was to account for Marvin Harrison, and make sure that he just could not torch them over the top. And despite that, you know, one of the things we had talked about on the preview episode was how much can Ohio State make like punish Michigan for that? Because right? Trevion Henderson, he's not a great between-the-tackles runner. Like, if there's not much of a lane there, he's going to get two or three yards. But if you miss a tackle, if he gets the edge, he might get 75. In this game, I mean, despite Michigan keeping the safeties high, the whole game playing light in the box and basically daring Ohio State to run, and they had the one good drive you talked about where they were able to kind of pound it and call Michigan's bluff and take advantage of some pretty bad misholding calls. But that's neither here nor there. Ohio State in this game averaged 3.8 yards per carry. Henderson finished with 60 yards on 19 carries with a long of eight. And his longest touch of the day was on a checkdown that went for 11. And if you told me before the game, Henderson's longest touch will be 11 yards, I'd have felt pretty good about the outcome. And I mean, it was just... It was huge to what Michigan was able to do defensively to the run game and still be able to play as safe on the back end and make Ohio State drive the field in pieces.
0: Yeah, I mean, I also think that um, Will Johnson's ability to go one-on-one with Marvin Harrison enabled that as well because—
1: At least for two-and-a-half quarters until they really had to start overplaying it because of Johnson's absence.
0: But they didn't have to— they like they did commit a safety help a lot, but they they didn't they also didn't have to on every snap, right. right? And so they they were able to at some points bring the safeties down into the box and let them be. Like I remember, yeah, there were some distinctly seeing like a tackle made at or near the line of scrimmage by Macari Page.
1: I remember one by Rod Moore as well. Right. Where it was kind of a standard down situation. It was like, a, Rod Moore's making a tackle at two yards. That means <laughs> Will Johnson's back there by himself and they're putting a lot of faith in him. But they didn't do that much.
0: Yeah, so but I, they did it enough that you that your coverage was variable and correct. that your defensive looks were different. And that was huge, right? That's, that's a big... an important thing to be able to do in a game like this because yeah there was a moment i'm I'm rewatching and i'm like what the fuck like because you know i i gotta tell you i blacked out in real time during the (laughs) game right i i was like last night we got back and i was like i gotta watch this again so i know what the fuck happened because all i know right now is that michigan won also for
1: shits and gigs anything
0: else (laughs) that happened in this game but as i'm watching i'm like oh like you know, Macari Page is making tackles at the line of scrimmage, right? Rod Moore yeah. is making tackles at or around the line of scrimmage, right? That means the safeties are getting down to the box fucking fast. Yeah. And you're they like... sprinkled that in. That got sprinkled in, and really, Will Johnson is what enables you to do that. And, and yeah. that is something that, you know, you talk about being able to keep Ohio State a little bit off balance, and that's part of it. I was going
1: to make kind of the opposite point, actually, which was that the reason they were able to do that all day, I mean, keep two safeties high probably 80% of the time and still hold Ohio State to three. and Is the defensive line? The defensive line, especially. I mean, we talked about the linebackers. They were very impressive. Colson, in particular, I thought, had one of his better games at Michigan other than the – I think he was the guy who busted on the the Marvin Harrison crossing route where he just didn't get into his zone, kind of like the Maryland game where we saw something similar. So that was a little frustrating. But the defensive line in particular, Mason Graham, I think, had his highest snap count of the season. He was a monster, as always. Kenneth Grant, Chris Jenkins. Jenkins had a couple plays that he blew up just getting penetration. Uh, and even the defensive ends, Josiah Stewart had a couple nice plays where he was out there, I think, thinking that, you know, he he was probably going to get more snaps in this game given Ohio State's, like, pass tendency, more so than a lot of teams in the Big Ten. And he had a couple really impressive plays where he was out on the edge and just pinched a hole closed pretty much by himself. So just the whole defensive line, I, I think, deserves a lot of credit because that was such a big part of enabling Michigan to... Play safeties conservatively most of the time not get beat over the top and still largely shut down the Ohio State running game without giving up anything of significance.
0: Yeah, it was huge. it was really impressive um, and you know we saw Jesse Minter waving sassily at the Ohio State. <laughs> they were such bitch babies about that too Ohio State fans everywhere and Michigan state fans of course because they can't help but insert themselves right, they're no Ohio into... state
1: fans by proxy because they've got nothing else to root for.
0: Yeah, whatever. They're like, oh, it's so classless. I'm like, shut the fuck
1: up. Great teams taunt, baby.
0: Well, not only that, but like from Michigan State fans in particular, like the the like where'd all the Wolverines go head coach that they used to have. Like, shut the fuck up.
1: Michigan State fans are permanently abdicated from being able to talk about class.
0: Yeah. Shut up. Shut up. All of you shut up. Also, like. In a rivalry in which Woody Hayes was once a coach, like you think waving is super problematic like I need I need you to be so astronomically fucking for real you planted
1: our flag in your fucking 50yard line last year. <laughs> if you're gonna be upset about something, pick better things. come on.
0: right I'm so classless. so clutch your pearls a little harder <laughs> next time. I'm gonna fucking vomit you
1: know when you do that. Put
0: your big boy pants <laughs> on, okay and let's play some fucking football.
1: You know when you do that is when you're a loser.
0: Yeah, it is loser talk. Also, by the way, speaking of putting your big boy pants on, I wanted to make one comment that doesn't really have anything to do with the game, but it does, which is that um, on college game day on Saturday morning, which I did not watch, but I, yeah, we were en route we to were, the stadium at right, the time on our way there. But I, I didn't watch it, but I saw the clip circulating later that um, Desmond Howard called out. Pete Thamel for doing his segment that he would typically do in front of the fans, right, live. like in the
1: crowd there at college game day. He
0: did it in the stadium while it was empty, yep. <laughs> and <laughs> presumably because he didn't want to get booed into fucking oblivion by Michigan fans who were mad about all the sign gate coverage. It, and Des was like, "Put your big boy pants on and do the report," <laughs> yep. which is so funny, like amazingly funny. A million out of ten. No notes. Thank you.
1: Agreed. Special teams, we should talk about briefly. Because we should,
0: because they were a huge difference maker in this game. Um, James Turner. James Turner. We didn't even know if we had a kicker.
1: We spent the whole year being like, James Turner made a field goal. He's probably fine. We're not really ever going to know until he gets a chance to do something of significance. And man, he was significant in this one. He had the uh, the made 50-yarder. I just wanted to highlight that one because... There was essentially an exchange of 50-yard field goals in this game, right? Ohio State had the 52-yarder that they tried at the end of the first half. Pathetic. Clutched by Sharon Moore, by the way. I mean, it's basically a coin flip. Do you ice him or not? And I don't know that it really matters. But in this situation, it did, right? I mean, he makes the practice kick and then shanks the second one. And then late in the game, James Turner from 50 nails it right down the middle. I mean, all three of his kicks, right? Like, after not having... Any real like pressure moment all year for a team that just kicking didn't matter because the games weren't competitive to go out there in those situations and just be nails three for three, it was obviously huge. And the exchange of 50 yarders in particular. I mean, if you take, you know, if you flip the results, basically, Turner misses his 50 yarder, Jaden Fielding for Ohio State hits his, you've got a tie game, right? 20, 27 27 in the final minutes. And who knows oh God. how that
0: plays out? <laughs> oh, God, that's terrifying. Yeah. A million out of 10 for James Turner, no notes. Similarly, a million out of 10 for Tommy Doman, no notes. I mean, well, actually one note. He had the one <laughs> kickoff that went out of bounds The where they got the yep. ball at the 35. That sucked. But other than that, he was incredible in this game. I mean, there was, he had like a 70 yard punt.
1: Yeah. That one got shortened a little on the net because it went into the end zone. But I mean, that was from, I think Michigan had the ball at about the 30, like the 36 yard line or something like that. And he puts it in the end zone. And it basically flips the field. And then the one later that gets downed at the uh, the Ohio State two-yard line. And those yards turned out to be huge because that was the drive right at the end of the first half where they had to decide, you know, fourth and two, are we going to go for it? Are we going to kick the field goal? And they try the 52-yarder and they miss. I mean, if that ball's at the 20, that's probably three points for Ohio State.
0: For sure. Each team had three punts in this game. And Michigan, Jesse Mirko, Ohio State's, punter was not good.
1: It kind of seems like he's been hurt because I think he was a finalist for the Ray guy last year. Had huge numbers. And this year is averaging like 38 yards a punt. This does not look the same at all.
0: Not good. But Michigan, you know, three punts a team per each team, right? And Michigan got a combined 50 like hidden yards of field position out of Tommy Doman outperforming Mirko, right?
1: That's stuff that doesn't show up in like the, you know, the team stats. But when you tack on 50 hidden yards, that was pretty significant. I mean, again, I keep saying like everything could have been the difference or everything was significant, but But in a game like this, it really is. It really
0: was. I mean, you're talking about, you know, one play, Quinton Johnson making a play, Mikey Samer still making a play. Like they really were the difference in a game this close. Rod Moore making a play, Will Johnson making a play really was the difference in a game this close. And then on the offensive side, JJ McCarthy making many plays, Blake Corum, you know, that's yeah. like Cornelius on Johnson drive. with a
1: couple of catches like yeah all Cornelius of it.
0: Johnson had a great game quietly it was a much like not as loud of a yeah, game but as... a couple
1: of incredibly clutch catches including the one we talked about on the uh the seven minute drive right. he's just lunging back across his body to pull it in just off the ground
0: everybody had to make a play at some point along the way and they did over and over again and it was just a very impressive like high quality team win
1: I mean that's how you define a legacy right you make the plays in this game. This is the one that people remember.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you saw after the Zinter injury in particular, like how much this team is serious when they say they're going to play for each other and that they, they care for each other and they have this like interconnectedness. I mean, you look at you look at Keegan, right? Who's, Mikey still. who's, you know, Zinter's counterpart right. at the guard spot, right? And
1: guys who came back to school for each other, basically. He's
0: distraught. Keegan yeah. looks distraught. So does Mikey. You see JJ hugging Zinter's parents on the sideline, and then, of course. Corum flashes the sixty-five after he scores. By the way, a touchdown that set a record for himself.
1: Yes, that's right. That was right? the single-season record-breaking touchdown. He's and setting... the first thought in his mind is Zach Center.
0: Right. That's very special. They're a very, very special group of guys. And we talked about this a little bit when we were we wa- we rewatched the game last night. And you know, I, I was like, Corum needs to be like a goat on the tier of Woodson, like on the tier of Dez. And you were taken aback, I think, a little bit by that because it's like when you win the Heisman, it feels like you get to be on it. I
1: feel like there's kind of a separate pantheon for like you know Tom Harmon, Desmond Howard, Charles Woodson. But I think your point is a fair one. I would just put a few more guys from this team in it. Go ahead and expand on that. My
0: point is that, you know, I mean, I guess I don't know what the culture of Michigan football was like when Tom Harmon was here, per se. But what I know about... Charles Woodson and Desmond Howard, is that they didn't have to fix Michigan, right? In a lot of ways, Michigan was fundamentally broken in a time when Blake Corum was already on the team, but and Zach Zinter and Trevor Keegan. And JJ McCarthy arrived shortly thereafter, and so right. did Donovan Edwards. But Michigan was broken. I mean, we we like hadn't beaten Ohio State in fucking forever. We'd gone two and four. Everything looked bad. Everything looked terrible. It was very bleak. It's so bleak. And these guys had to fix Michigan. Aiden Hutchinson, I know he's obviously yeah. no longer on the team, but I mean
1: JJ McCarthy, that tweet that gets circulated from 2020.
0: When he's like relaxed. Yeah,
1: when he's like, everything's gonna be okay. We're gonna do it.
0: Like that is unbelievable and that's what i mean quorum is a great player he's i think a great, he's the
1: best michigan running back i've great ever seen
0: player but what puts quorum on charles's tier and on dez's tier without the trophy right is that it's that he had to come in here and like be part of a total reshaping of the culture of the program and yeah to do it in the way that they've done it, to do it with... I mean, like, I felt an extraordinary amount of pressure as, like, a fan coming off of this, like, sign bullshit. Like, like I felt the feeling of, like, the legacy of the team I root for being questioned. And these fucking 22-year-olds and 23... quorums, it was his birthday. He turned 23.
1: That's right. Blake Quorum turned 23 on Saturday.
0: Happy birthday, Blake. Like... They just they handle it, and they they're so so special culturally. They're they're unique. That's something about them that's different. They're built different, and that, that there's something about them that's like that. Corum to me is uh, my favorite player by far and away to ever put on a Michigan jersey, and it's not close. Like I, it was Denard for a very long time, and yeah. it's not anymore. I'm sorry, Denard, my my classmate, my buddy, Denard. <laughs> like
1: number 16 in your programs number 2 in your heart
0: that's right like so these players are special like you set he set a record he set the single season rushing touchdown record for Michigan and instead of thinking about himself or celebrating his own achievement he is thinking about his you know his offensive guard that just went down like they are so
1: yeah. so
0: special they really do love each other they play for each other i love them i'm so excited that we get to see them compete for another Big Ten title this week and hopefully a national championship.
1: Couldn't agree more. I mean, I think uh, JJ said that in his press availability after the game and talking about what a team this is and, and what it's become or grown to be. You know, he said Harbaugh's pregame message to the team, since he obviously couldn't be at the stadium, was you know the whole Michigan mantra, the team, the team, the team. He said, you are that team.
0: Yeah, that's that's special. We love it. And so now that team heads to Indianapolis for the third year in a row. It's beautiful. I want nothing more. Like, I want – like, I'm going to fucking wallpaper my house with the look on Tony Petit's <laughs> face when he has to hand Jim Harbaugh that Big Ten Champions trophy, inshallah.
1: Get ready to learn the victors, buddy.
0: <laughs> like, the first thing I, like – I t- like the first thing I tweeted when the game was over, I-, I don't even know how this tweet made it out of the stadium because it, it, we were still inside when the
1: universe <laughs> needed the to universe make sure that this was guy like, out
0: there. the universe was like this tweet needs to be in the world. But I was like, fuck your science, fuck your narrative, fuck you, Tony Petiti, fuck Ohio. And I still feel that way. We're going to we're on our way to Indy. We're going to play Iowa again. I'm hope very excited about what I think is a very likely trophy handoff between Tony Petiti and Jim Harbaugh.
1: Yeah it's gonna be beautiful I mean (laughs) just kind of bring this full circle I guess none of it matters now right they beat Penn State they beat Ohio State they won the Big Ten East Harbaugh's back they're gonna play for the Big Ten championship and they're probably going to the playoff. And. I mean, just in general, like (laughs) I said this last year, think about where we're at right now, and we were just talking about where things were in 2020, you know, things were bleak. It was really dire, and since the Michigan State loss in 2021, Michigan's won 30 straight games outside the college football playoff, and again, it's on the brink of its first ever run of three straight outright Big Ten titles, ever. (laughs) Like, these are the good days, so let's enjoy them.
0: On the flip side of enjoyment, I think we have to talk about the Iowa offense now. We've got one more game preview to do, (laughs) at least.
1: That's right. I mean, you all know about Iowa because we probably talk about Iowa more than anybody in the Big Ten outside of Ohio State just because they're such a caricature of a program, right? Like It's like if you built built a, a school in NCAA football or like a Madden franchise and you allocated all of your points, attributes, Madden dollars, whatever, to defense and literally zero to offense and we're like how far can I take this (laughs) like what's the logical endpoint?"
0: apparently it's 10 and 2 and a shot at the big 10 championship game if you play in the big 10 west
1: right but I mean Michigan is favored by 23 for a reason I think this is actually the biggest conference championship line ever at least in the power five even the one that Ohio
0: State won by 60 I think so
1: and I think that was like you know somewhere in the teens and this one's 23 and I mean the other thing is that Michigan is almost definitely into the playoff regardless of what happens here. Like, there are probably some wild scenarios where, like, if they get blown out by Iowa, like, LOL, (laughs) as if that could actually happen. That
0: requires Iowa scoring points. Correct. So, I don't know about all that.
1: Yeah, so I guess on that note, do you have any concerns
0: about this game? Not really. (laughs) I mean, as a practical matter, it's just, I mean – our defense is better than Iowa's, and our offense is way better than Iowa's.
1: <laughs> Almost by default, it has to be better and than so Iowa's. And so I just, like, <laughs> definitely.
0: I don't know. I, like, I think Michigan win this game six to nothing. Like, I just don't know what, how Iowa's going to score points. Penn State couldn't really score points.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, this what, is.
0: What's, what's going to happen? Right. J.J. McCarthy throwing five picks is the only way anything goes wrong in this game. And I suppose that's possible, it just doesn't seem particularly likely.
1: Right. Obviously this is still a very good defense. I think they're maybe fourth or fifth in S P plus and FEI, somewhere in that range. But even there they've taken a step back because Cooper DeGene, who's maybe the best corner in the country, is out for the season. So if you're Michigan, like you can probably just play this straight up and as long as you don't as long as you don't throw five picks, you know, set them up with repeated short fields where they can get points that they otherwise aren't going to get because they have no offense, like you're probably gonna be fine.
0: Right, just play a clean football game and you win. Right, and Michigan
1: really hasn't done that in 3 years. I mean, they haven't played a game where they've imploded with turnovers.
0: Right, don't muff punts, so, don't like right. don't do stupid shit and you will probably win. We're not that concerned.
1: Right. And if you haven't been watching, I mean, this Iowa offense has somehow gotten even worse since early in the year. This actually is, I believe, an SP+ the lowest rated Power 5 offense in the country. They're in the 120s out of 133 teams in division or in the FBS right Excruciating. now.
0: Excruciating. <laughs>
1: That's in part due to both Cade McNamara and Eric All, names you know, both going down for the season with torn ACLs. About it wasn't
0: better when they were playing. It
1: was a little better. It's gotten slightly worse. But, I mean, it was already terrible, and now it's just right. slightly terribler. Is that a word?
0: More terrible.
1: More terrible. It's definitely more terrible That is <laughs> the Iowa offense subtitle.
0: <laughs> Jesus Christ.
1: But, yeah, obviously that's unfortunate for those guys, but the result is – know This. It's what you got between Iowa and Nebraska on Friday, which was uh, truly disgusting. Also, just the truly perfect Iowa game. The total, the betting total for points in this game was 24 and a half. The lowest total in modern college football history. And they
0: didn't hit it! They
1: didn't hit it. The funny thing is, it was 10 to 10, like near halftime. And it was like, well, obviously they're going to hit it. They're at 20 already. And they didn't hit it. The end of this game, if you didn't see it, Iowa has the ball with under a minute left. They're driving, quote-unquote driving, as Iowa does. Nebraska intercepts a pass at midfield with 40 seconds left in the game and loses in regulation. (laughs) You might be asking yourself how this happens. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) Nebraska gets the ball, immediately throws their own interception, which Iowa returns to the edge of field goal range. They run a couple times, kick a field goal, and that's it. I mean, it's funny because by turning it over, Iowa essentially gave themselves the only opportunity they were going to have to win this game. They can't move the ball on offense. No. So what do they need? The
0: defense needed a, to a win the game.
1: that moves the ball into field goal range. So it was just, uh, like I said, it was the perfect way for Iowa to end the season and the perfect way for the Big Ten West to go out. But, like, we talk about Iowa as inevitable, and we say it kind of, kind of seriously but kind of jokingly. Like, even Iowa as a concept has its limits. And you mentioned the Penn State game. I mean, Iowa lost 31 nothing to Penn State because they, they just don't have an offense. And that's what you get when they go up against something other than a Big Ten West, no quarterback archetype. And Michigan is not that.
0: No, I believe we have a quarterback.
1: We have a quarterback and a running back and a couple All-American offensive line. Like, well, one fewer now, but...
0: Yeah, They're they're good. Some tight ends that can catch passes. Some tight ends, right. We've got people you have to cover.
1: Right. And a quarterback that can
0: get the ball to those people.
1: Right. And you saw probably a worse version of Michigan play probably a slightly better version of Iowa two years ago. A very similar version of Iowa. Probably a slightly worse one on the whole.
0: That was Iowa that was ranked in the top three at one point, right? (sighs) Do you remember that number three yep. Iowa or number two Iowa? I and mean, they're probably going to be they, top
1: fifteen in this matchup. And we
0: fucking peed our pants because they, we, the minute they got that ranking, we were like, we know they're going to oh, yeah, lose to Purdue. They're absolutely losing to Purdue this week, and then they fucking did.
1: There are some things you just know, like how Nebraska was favored by a point against Iowa this last weekend. It's like I know exactly what these programs are, and that's not happening.
0: <laughs> no, no way, no fucking way. I mean, like that. that like, like I don't gamble, but like in hindsight, like. Obviously Iowa was favored in this game over Purdue. They were number two Iowa or whatever the fuck they were. I should have bet my whole life savings on (laughs) Purdue in that game because it was just inevitable. Like they had they had exactly one quarterback and that's all you need. (laughs) Like somebody who's not just gonna turf the ball or throw it directly
1: to the If you have a functional passing game, there's a pretty good chance you're taking down Iowa.
0: Right. So we should be okay. I'm not super concerned.
1: Yeah, for what it's worth the implied lines. Both Vegas, based on betting total and spread, as well as SP Plus, have the projected score of this game at Michigan 29, Iowa 6, which, honestly, at this point, I'll take it. Just take care of business, do what you got to do, and you're moving on to the playoff. So, yeah, you want to talk about some of the other games from this last weekend? Anything else that we didn't cover from the game that you want to you wanna get off here?
0: No, that's it. Right. I think I've talked my shit. <laughs> I literally made a list in order to talk my shit. So. We spent
1: an hour and a half talking shit, so we're probably that's probably enough for now.
0: Okay, fair enough.
1: The Iron Bowl. Oh my god! Oh my Very god! Very
0: drunk game. <laughs> Exceedingly drunk game. I mean, I think
1: we were talking about this last week, where I made some comment like. Auburn could beat Bama. Like, we've seen Auburn teams this bad beat Bama teams that were probably better than this one. Like, weirder shit has happened. And
0: I was like, shut the fuck up. They just got bludgeoned (laughs) by New Mexico State. They
1: did. That's what's so funny about it. They got run off the field by New Mexico State last week. And then they handled Bama for, like, 55 minutes. I don't even know how to describe what happened in the last five. But overall sequence here, Bama gets stopped deep in their own territory. They punt. Auburn punt returner just slips and just eats it on the grass for no particular reason. Punt hits him. Bama recovers. So all of a sudden, it's like a flip the field. Uh, Bama's at about the Auburn 25, if I remember right. All of a sudden, immediately, Bama's in third and 20. Jalen Milrose scrambles for 19 yards. <laughs> so they're in a fourth and one. They convert. They get down to the first and goal at the seven. And again, it's kind of like, okay, back and forth, but all of a sudden like Bama's got first and goal. Like, oh, shit, they're probably going to do this with, I think, about three minutes left in the game at that point. They have a bad snap that Milrow's not ready for. Goes over his head, and they're back at the 26-yard line. Next play, Milrow gets some pressure, rolls out of it to his left, has all kinds of room where he could take off, Not, not like to the end zone, but he can probably get 10, 15 yards. He rolls out to the left. He crosses the line of scrimmage changes his mind, runs backwards behind the line of scrimmage, and throws a pass, which you cannot do, just to be clear. You can't cross the line of scrimmage and then go back and become a pass. Listen,
0: I'm not sure I knew that, because I don't think I had ever seen that
1: before. (laughs) That's fair. I haven't seen it either. But he's really testing the limits of the the forward pass. So they call the illegal forward pass, loss of down. Bama's in, at this point, fourth and goal from the 31-yard line. Auburn calls timeout to set up the defense
0: set up the defense air quotes because what the fuck were you doing they they come back out of this timeout okay which is like they're guarding a functional hail mary right it's right. Fourth, fourth and goal from, goal from, the from the 31, the 31. Right. and they rush two with a spy yeah, that's they a what they came up with
1: like three yards behind the line of scrimmage for some reason no idea what he's doing there because miller is not going to run he can't run for 31 yards. you've got eight guys at the goal line so I don't know what that guy's doing. But they rush to. They obviously get no pressure. They have a guy hanging out doing nothing. And somehow, Milrow Chucks one up to the corner of the end zone, and they end up with a guy in single coverage on a jump ball, and he just skies over the guy and pulls it in right at the back pylon. And like I've never seen—actually, I've never seen – actually, I have. <laughs> We're not going to talk about when. I was going to say I've never seen a stadium like collapse mentally and emotionally like Auburn's did in that moment. I mean, Auburn Jesus is, is the thing, right? Like somehow they keep pulling out these miracle games and people talk about Auburn Jesus and they got deserted in that moment.
0: Oh my God, unbelievably bad. We were talking about this, like just rush zero. Rush no one. I was saying, I
1: kind of think that that's like the next phase of like passing. <laughs> or like, yeah, it's fourth in a million. Rush nobody. What's a, he, he, he can't run for 31 yards if you've got 10, 11 guys back in the Wait, end zone. if he
0: starts trying when he crosses the line of scrimmage, come up and meet him. Right. Because at that point, he can't fucking throw it forward. Like, what are we doing? Like, Let set them up
1: waste a, their blockers, basically. Set
0: up a fucking fence at the goal line. He's not. Or he's actually not rush for.
1: Actually, give yourself a chance to get there and force him into a throw that right. he can't place perfectly.
0: But Rush <laughs> 2 with Rush. a spy?
1: It was inexcusable.
0: It was so bad.
1: I know some people are saying they feel bad for Auburn. You can't feel bad for Auburn because A, again, Auburn Jesus. B, you hired Hugh Freeze as head coach. Yeah. <laughs> <That's, Shut laughs> you, up. Yeah, no, nobody has to feel bad for you ever But
0: again. my God, I mean, like, like straight up malpractice. Yeah. No, just rush zero. I, I want to see someone do it because I want to know what it looks like.
1: But like I feel like just, I've seen it before on a Hail Mary, maybe in the NFL. Uh, somebody has rushed zero and it's like, yeah, that's what you should do. Let I, them waste their blockers. I
0: imagine that that's something that like John Harbaugh would do. John Harbaugh feels yeah. very cutting edge to me. Like the Ravens, I feel like are always like a little bit analytics like a little bit ahead of it. I want to know if that's happened. If someone has ever rushed zero in that situation, at me with the clip. Yeah, I'm if, dying you, to yeah, if you find
1: a clip, I'd be interested to see it. At the same time as that game, or I guess uh, ran a little later, was Washington-Washington State. That was a fascinating game because I don't know if I've ever seen a team try harder to both win and lose a game in the final two minutes than Washington did. Like walking between the raindrops once again to pull out this win. They win by a field goal uh, basically as time expires. But if you didn't see the end of this game, so Washington has the ball at about their own, I want to say their own 28-yard line with just over a minute left, fourth and one in a tie game. And they go for it. And they it kind of line up like Michigan does with the wedge, except they have a guy um, coming on an end around behind Michael Penix. And this is an option play, apparently, Kalen DeBoer said after the game, where if they basically crash off the edge, Penix hands to the guy on the end around. And that's what they do. They run it, and they get like 30 yards on the play. All of a sudden, they're up to midfield. I mean, it was incredibly ballsy to go for it on fourth. and one. Like, that's the game, right? If you get stopped, Washington State kicks a field goal, and you, you lose. But they go for it, and they get up to midfield, and then they don't have much of a kicker. So their kicker was a walk-on, and they've been pretty dicey in that uh, in that regard all year. So they drive down to about the 25-yard line for Washington State, and they throw a couple balls into the end zone, one of them into triple coverage, like absolutely should have been picked with, you know, like 20 seconds left in the game at this point. Like, I know you don't have a great field goal kicker, but Holy shit! Like, don't throw it into triple coverage here in field goal range. Yeah. So it was just a, a really weird sequence where it's like, oh my god, what is Washington doing? Oh my god, what is Washington doing? Like in all, you know,
0: in every derogatory
1: direction. and and complimentary. But anyway, they, they get a few more yards and uh, and, and the walk on hits the field goal and then after the game, uh, Kalen DeBoer gives him a scholarship, which was pretty cool, but. Anyway, just in terms of Washington and where they're at, it was, again, just another game where they're, like, they play at exactly the level of their competition, but, like, one one increment better, and
0: they keep finally fucking doing they're that. at that
1: point where they're going to have to be better than that because they're into the Pac-12 championship game against Oregon, which, despite Washington beating Oregon earlier this year, Oregon is a nine-point favorite in that game. I just don't think there's a lot of belief that Washington can actually do it again, and Oregon kind of,
0: looks like a buzzsaw right now.
1: Oregon's really rolling. I mean, they uh, they took care of business against Oregon State in what maybe was the last version of the Civil War for a while. Yeah,
0: then I fucking c- cried because they tweeted a picture. Someone tweeted a picture. I don't know if it yeah. was the programs. I think it was literally the Oregon Duck who tweeted the picture, and then it was picked up by, like, the Reddit college football accounts or whatever. But it was, like, of the duck and the, the beaver, like, you know, with their arms over each other's shoulders. I was like, you guys are going to make me fucking cry. What the yeah. fuck?
1: Yeah, it's a literal end of the Pac-12. I mean, I guess Friday night technically the Pac-12 championship game is the end of the Pac-12. But yeah, fingers crossed that they figure out uh, how to keep that one going. Apparently, the Apple Cup they've reached a like a an understanding. You know, they've got some sort of agreement and principle in place to continue that one. Civil War, nothing definitive yet, but hopefully they can keep that one uh, keep that one alive.
0: I mean, other conferences do it, right? I mean, like Florida and Florida State played at the end yeah. of of you know we're going to talk about that game. I, yeah. I imagine it has playoff implications, but. You know, Florida and Florida State play at the end of the year despite the differing conferences that, you know, you move a conference game up earlier in the Big Ten and play play this game at the end of the year if you still want to. Like, okay. all that stuff seems like some stuff they can preserve, and I hope that they try. Yeah. I do.
1: Yeah, agreed. Yeah, Oregon took care of business there, and uh, so now it's Oregon and Washington for the Pac-12 title Friday night in, in Las Vegas. I'm going to
0: be rooting very hard for Washington because I think Oregon's a lot <laughs> scarier.
1: Let's come back to that in a minute because I do want to talk about there's some – Really interesting playoff, playoff scenarios,
0: scenarios here. Yeah, for sure.
1: But speaking of fun rivalries, Farmageddon.
0: Did not know that was a thing. <laughs> I thought that name was made up.
1: So Iowa State and Kansas State, right? That rivalry, it's, it's not necessarily like a locked-in rivalry, but Farmageddon, they call it.
0: Farmageddon, I cried. You said it. Like, we were sitting on the couch, and you said it. And I, like, chuckled. I was like, "How oh, that's funny. And then I went on Twitter, and Brian from MGO Blog like, was talking about how Farmageddon was being played in a snowstorm. And I was like, wait a minute, that's real? <laughs> yeah,
1: that's like, real. Like, you
0: didn't just make that up? Like, Farmageddon exists? I'm not that
1: witty, unfortunately.
0: Oh my God, I was blown. Like, you learn something new every day.
1: It was so entertaining, though, because, I mean, for, for lots of reasons, but mostly that it was played in a fucking blizzard i mean that was awesome you couldn't even see the lines on the field they got the leaf blower out there trying to my mom was
0: watching this one with us and she was absolutely mystified (laughs) she was like how can they see anything why are they playing the
1: game i'm like because it's fun it's awesome matt
0: goes like that and then you see the like the leaf blower (laughs) clearing the like the you know the yard lines or whatever it was so funny
1: yeah iowa state at one point in the fourth quarter was winning 42 to 35 and they did hold on to win this game and they had run at that point two plays in Kansas State territory, which tells you how drunk this game was. And, I mean, that kind of game on top of in a blizzard, like, it it was awesome. It had no significance to anything, but I had to mention it because it was just an incredibly fun game. In the Big 12 in games that actually did mean something, Texas and Oklahoma State kind of made things easy by just winning and making all those tiebreaker scenarios that we talked about irrelevant. So Texas and Oklahoma State are playing Saturday afternoon for the Big 12 title.
0: Potential Big 12 champion quarterback, Alan Bowman. That's
1: right. (laughs) Alan Bowman, baby. Michigan legend. Uh, So Texas obviously has to win that one to put themselves in position for a playoff spot. But before we talk more about that, you mentioned Florida State and Florida. That was an interesting game. Florida State is still down Jordan Travis, of course. He's out for the year with a, a broken ankle. And things were interesting there because Florida led for most of that game. And Florida State had to come back from 10 down. Or they scored 10 points in the fourth quarter. And, you know, pulled out a 24-15 win. So they are 12-0 and now presumably just need to beat Louisville, which got upset by Kentucky on Saturday in the ACC title game to clinch its playoff spot. I, I don't think Florida State's getting left out at 13-0 as a Power 5 champion. I mean, that's literally never happened. I don't think it's ever come close to happening.
0: No, I don't think that'll happen either. And I would like to see that because without Travis, they really are not that scary. Yeah.
1: yeah. Florida and is I, and I think that's the good. argument for why, you know, should they be in over, you know, potential like one loss, in Georgia or whoever it might be, one loss, Washington, if Oregon wins. Like, we'll come back to that again. There's a couple more games I want to talk about real quickly before that. Georgia. Oh, buddy.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. Georgia Tech was not only played that game pretty close, right? But it's a six and six team that put up 205 rushing yards on Georgia, and they were kind of giving Georgia fits in the run game.
1: And Georgia's had that problem a couple times. Auburn put up over 200 rushing yards. I mean, that Georgia run defense. I think people. This is one of those situations like you've talked about with.
0: Yeah. Okay. This is one of my. This is one of my points. I feel like people get locked into their football knowledge and like they, it's like they just don't update their repository with like what's actually happening yeah, like teams we have heard, like
1: an archetype and you just kind of assume that they are that even when they aren't necessarily that anymore
0: right like i kept hearing about d'antonio's like secondaries like the no-fly zone and shit until 2019 and i was like my brother in christ that secondary is garbage yeah. like you know like that's, th- that's not, not who they are anymore right like that's not they don't have those guys anymore and they don't, they're not like that anymore I mean, you know better than I do, but it does feel a little bit like that's what's happened some with Georgia's run defense in particular. And, you know, in fairness, I think a little bit of that has happened with Michigan's running game, right? Like people think about the running game that we have as being maybe a little bit better than it actually is because of the last two years in which it was a lot better than it is this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's still very good. But Georgia, when you look at some of the, um, especially like some of the advanced numbers, like EPA per play is one people like to track. Basically, like, On that play, are you in a better position in terms of expected points on that drive than you were before? And that's a good way to track kind of outcomes or success rates or whatever you want to call it. And Georgia, in some of those numbers, is like in the 70s, in the 90s in run defense. I mean, that's an area where they are legitimately like below average as a Power 5 team. And so that's interesting. I mean, we've seen it a couple times this year now, and they looked pretty mortal in this game. Georgia Tech had a chance – to get Georgia off the field a couple times at the end of this game, like in the last three minutes, down a touchdown. It could have made things really interesting. Ultimately, they couldn't as Georgia's offense was able to extend that drive and ultimately just, you know, kneel it out. But, yeah, I mean, they, they looked mortal. And uh, that's not something we'd seen from Georgia in a little while. And so now you've got, uh, you know, Georgia coming off a pretty iffy performance against Bama coming off a pretty iffy performance in the SEC championship game this week. And I think now we can get into the – The playoff scenarios, because this is where it gets really, really fascinating. Is if Bama knocks off Georgia, you've got twelve and one Bama with a win over Georgia and an SEC championship. You've got twelve and one Georgia, who's been number one for most of the the playoff rankings and seems to be getting a lot of deference for what they've been the last two years. And then you've got maybe twelve and one Texas with a win over Bama head to head
0: in Tuscaloosa,
1: right? And then you've got you know Michigan and. The winner of the Pac-12 presumably locked in and maybe Florida State locked in like you could have those three teams competing for one or, or maybe two spots depending on what happens with Florida State they can't all get in so if Bama wins I'm absolutely fascinated to see how that happens I'm also rooting for that because that would make Michigan the one seed and potentially set them up with you know an easier first round matchup which would be great but just in general the chaos there I'm so I'm just so fascinated to see what happens there. And then you've got the Florida State situation where you know, I think they're definitely going to get in at 13-0 and if they get there. But how do you treat that team without its quarterback that's obviously not at the level that you would kind of normally expect a team with that resume to be at going into the playoff?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think if Florida State's getting in, I think they're getting in at the four, even if a teams ahead of them have a loss. I
1: think that's probably right. Like,
0: I think, I, I, like, Florida State doesn't have a better win than Washington would if even if Washington takes a loss like and in fairness if Washington loses I think Oregon's getting in over them but like
1: oh yeah Oregon or Washington whoever wins that game is absolutely getting getting
0: in in. and so you know but like even in a situation where you're looking at like a 12-1 and Washington like Washington has some of the highest quality of wins in the country. And, they have
1: a better resume than Florida State.
0: Right. Even at 12-1, and one, they would. Now, right. I don't think they're going to get in because I think Oregon is just going to get that spot instead of them. Like, I think it's a either-or situation in the same way Ohio State-Michigan was last week. Yeah. But, like there are a lot of 12 and one teams. I mean, Texas is a 12 and one team that I think probably has a better resume than Florida state and Alabama would be a 12 and one team with a better resume than Florida state. Like I think basically every 12 and one team that could get in, is going to have a better resume than Florida State. As a practical matter, they just are because. But at Florida 13 State's, no I
1: mean, if you go undefeated and win your, you're going to get in. You're going to get in. They're
0: not yeah. going to prevent. That doesn't necessarily mean they're not going to make you the four.
1: Right. Right. Thirteen and zero doesn't I, I mean agree. you
0: don't get to be the four. Agreed. Or, or, you know, so like I, I think you know, Florida State might be, like, Florida State's ceiling might be the four, <laughs> as a practical maybe. Like, I guess it's
1: hard to say with like you know if. I don't know if Georgia and Alabama play a terrible game, like, you know, a 17 to 13 kind of game. And it's like, oh, man, maybe neither of these teams is actually at the level we've kind of thought Georgia might be at. Like maybe, you know, Bama wins, they get the four. I'm not sure. Like, I think you're probably right that Florida State's going to end up on the four because I, I think the Jordan Travis injury, the committee is going to look at that and say this is very clearly the worst team in the field. But that didn't really happen with TCU last year. And everybody thought the same. Which the well, line yeah, but the game.
0: problem was, of course, that a non-conference champion backed into the playoff, right? Which is not going to fucking happen. And also,
1: they didn't want to set up the Michigan Ohio State rematch and give Michigan no benefit from having won the game in Columbus. So they had to kind of work around that, right? This is a, I agree. This is a different situation, but it's it's going to be so interesting. Like, no, I don't think
0: handled. any non-champion is getting into this playoff. I think that's going to be like it would require like five things to happen for a non-champion to back into this playoff, right?
1: it's probably right. I guess if Texas loses, things could get interesting. You would need actually Texas and Florida State to lose.
0: Right, Texas and Florida State to lose.
1: Yeah. Florida State is is possible. I mean, Louisville's good enough that, you know, the way they've played this year, if Florida State plays the way they did against Florida, but even got a then, shot at that.
0: I mean, if Bama and Georgia play a tight one, and Bama wins, they might just take both SEC teams. Right,
1: then Georgia would be your your non-champion who gets in.
0: And the same thing might also be true of Washington and Oregon. If Washington right. loses a close one, Washington to Oregon, could still get
1: in as the four.
0: Like I just think there are a lot of teams ahead of Ohio State.
1: Oh yeah, totally but agree. Ohio State's not there. Getting
0: in. There is possibility for other non-champions, I think, to get in. People who play in the championship game and they don't want to necessarily penalize them for losing it, which is what happened to TCU last year. Right. Right.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that could happen with Washington. I'm just thinking about Ohio State. I don't
0: want those losers to be able to back into the fucking playoff again. There's just
1: too many teams ahead of them. Too much would need to happen for that. So we're in agreement on that point. One other kind of random like non-playoff thing that was just really interesting to me. So the Mountain West ended up with a three-way tie. And (laughs) apparently they went so far down the tiebreakers that they still have a BCS computer ranking tiebreaker that ended up coming into play here.
0: Oh, my God.
1: So they had to wait for the four BCS computer rankings to come out, like on Sunday, to decide who was going to play. One of them was UNLV, and they were in regardless because they had a, a much higher ranking than the other two, so there was no no question that they were going to be in. But it was Boise State and San Jose State that were kind of neck and neck for that second spot. And it ended up being Boise State that got that pick, so it's going to be Boise State and UNLV. But it was just... Such a like a relic of you know, 25 years ago for that to, <laughs> to come into play here. And uh, also funny that Michigan might actually have a win over a group of five conference champion here if UNLV wins that game. That's very funny. Could like maybe, probably not really, but maybe impact the playoff rankings?
0: I think maybe Ohio State's going to impact the playoff rankings. Well,
1: yeah. (laughs) But I mean, if you're splitting hairs at the end between like, oh man, Georgia and Michigan have very similar resumes, Michigan actually has a a slightly better strength of schedule now than all of the other undefeated teams that are in playoff contention. And so if you're looking at, you know, at the margins, kind of going down the list and trying to compare who has the better resume, like that might actually matter. Again, probably not really, but. Just funny to think about, nonetheless. Oh, for sure. There were a couple coaching hires too that happened Saturday while we were, you know, engorging in football.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we'll start, of course, with Michigan State. Um, they hired Jonathan Smith from Oregon State, which I mean we think is a pretty good hire.
1: To be fair, almost any competent coach they could have hired would have been an upgrade because they are really down bad right now. That <laughs> like,
0: performance against Penn State was holy shit atrocious.
1: Yeah, I mean we've seen that Penn State team plenty this year, and Michigan State got outgained by that Penn State team 586 yards to 53.
0: Like 10 times? Outgained by a multiple of 10?
1: And also, if you took away Michigan State's two longest offensive plays, they had negative yardage. So, like, the average play in that game went backwards for Michigan State. I know that Penn State defense is good, but holy shit. (laughs) It was also very funny watching that game, apropos of nothing, just at Ford Field,
0: also, it's actually eleven. Eleven what? It's a multiple of eleven, right? Because fifty-three oh, yeah,
1: yeah. times That's eleven right. is five eighty-three. Yeah, Jesus Christ, that is so say, bad. Watching that game at Ford Field with the Lions' end zones still in place, and just thinking that like Michigan State gave up a home game to play this, and what looked like I mean, it looked like a high school playing a state playoff game somewhere, which is kind of where this program is at right now. So it was, it was pretty funny. But yeah, Jonathan Smith, good hire he's done a really good job at Oregon State. I was actually surprised because I didn't think he would leave there now, given that he's an Oregon State alum, right? He was a former quarterback there and the timing of them, you know, getting left out of the, well, what used to be the Pac-12 and trying to find a home. It just kind of felt like
0: he wasn't abandoning
1: gonna... you at the worst possible time. Right.
0: Like he kicked his own alma mater while it was down right. a little bit. And we kind of didn't expect that. But on the other hand, like he did no, he doesn't want to head coach at team that has no opponents on the schedule yeah, next year they've got year, three or... games
1: scheduled next year still trying to figure out if they're gonna like merge with the mountain west or what's gonna happen so that's it's a shitty situation for oregon state i just i, I feel bad for them as kind of a program given all that's happened and I, I didn't think that jonathan smith would necessarily bail on that for a job that's you know probably bottom half of the new big 10 but it was a good hire for michigan state can't dispute that for sure and then Texas A and M. So we were kind of following this Saturday evening, like on the drive back from the stadium. It looked like they were gonna hire Mark Stoops. That was the news that was starting to percolate on Twitter. And then all of a sudden it seems that the the tide is kind of turning here because apparently the boosters and the fans are like revolting over a Mark Stoops hire. It's which, the
0: same thing that happened to Greg Schiano at Tennessee.
1: That's right. Yeah, like it starts to leak, and then the fan base is so infuriated. There's like a, a immediate, you know, online torch and pitchfork mob, and, you know, they have to back off of it. They basically withdraw the offer from Stoops. He announces he's staying at Kentucky, and within a couple hours, I think— it was out there that next on the list was probably Mike Elko at Duke. And I just don't
0: understand air. this. Like, they revolted against Mark Stoops to hire ACC Mark Stoops. Because I don't fucking thing. understand. They're the same. It's the same thing.
1: Right. I mean, Mark Stoops has obviously done a really impressive job at Kentucky. If you look at, like, the best Kentucky seasons in the last 50 years, it's, like, longer than that. Probably, like, the last 70 years. It's, like, Bear Bryant seasons and Mark Stoops seasons. I mean, doing what they've done in the SEC for what they were for a long time has been... Pretty impressive. It's not always you know, pretty. Like <laughs> they're kind of Iowa, like SEC Iowa, almost for a lot of his tenure. But he fucking wins games at Kentucky. And, and Mike Elko has obviously done a, a good job at Duke, but he's been there for for two years, right? He went nine and three last year, and he went seven and five this year with you know, Riley Leonard missing a good chunk of the season. So a good coaching job, but a much thinner resume with a kind of generally similar style. He was actually AM's defensive coordinator. For a, a few years, I think he le- when he left A&M, he took the Duke coaching job, right? So he was at A&M just recently, and maybe that was part of it is that he knows people and there was more internal support for him just as a person from people knowing him. But yeah, otherwise, I mean, I feel like the resumes are similar, except Elko's is way thinner. He's got two seasons as a head coach. So I guess uh, whatever makes you happy with your oil money.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I don't get it. He's getting paid like $7 million a year base and then right. has a whole bunch of crazy incentives that probably are are never never gonna get hit yeah (laughs) but i just it's just so like weird yeah i was like these are the these are the same picture the schools that
1: get run by boosters they're just it's so fascinating and a&m like a&m and texas are two of the biggest ones right or two of the like most the most run by boosters programs because they've just got like so much oil money that they end up driving the bus except it's like five different people driving the bus and half the time that ends up with it going off the cliff so it's fun to watch from the outside
0: yeah for sure that's entertaining to say the least
1: Indiana fired Tom Allen that was one I did not see coming this year especially after they fired Walt Bell mid-season and then they kind of got it going on offense it was like okay that's something they found a guy who you know it seems like they've got a a fix there they're gonna see how it plays out Tom Allen's got a huge buyout and not so much I guess
0: no, they're eating, you know, 15 and a half million. It looks like initially it was reported, I think that the buyout was like 20 million, but yeah. um, they like settled it basically, you know.
1: Um, we'll pay you 15 and a half more or less upfront or over the first two years two rather years. than three years. And he was willing to, to settle for that yeah
0: shave a little bit off of it to get more yeah. of it i would take quickly. 15 and a
1: half million over two years to not coach that's really the american dream right the true that's american dream
0: so true bestie <laughs> all i i've said it a I million mean, all i want is to be a fired power five head football coach one day one, one just, day. Just, we're aiming real high Apparently, their wish list includes John Gruden.
1: Yeah, I don't know what's going on there, but this is is not just like message board John Gruden. This is actually like Bruce Feldman saying there is real support at Indiana for trying to bring in John Gruden, which I don't know. As soon as John Gruden's name gets brought up, that's when you know you're at the absolute peak of the coaching carousel. So it's probably all downhill from here. I I haven't actually heard my initial reaction was, is that maybe a, a Sharon Moore? or Mike Hart opportunity. I hope he doesn't he go was...
0: take that dog shit job. Be well, serious. Yeah. And I
1: haven't actually heard him brought up. I think, frankly, there's a lot of like external and internal thought at this point that if he's kind of the coach-in-waiting at Michigan or next in line at Michigan, he maybe doesn't leave in the near term. At least maybe not for that job. They've got some other, you know, they can hire John Gruden instead. But anyway, it doesn't sound like the Michigan guys are necessarily at the top of the list like I thought they might be, which uh, is good from our point of view. For sure. That's pretty much all I got. Anything else you want to talk about here? Did we cover all the the weird weekend happenings?
0: I think that's it.
1: Just got to say, enjoy it. I mean, we got one very movable obstacle left between Michigan and a third straight Big Ten title, so you just got to keep that momentum going through Saturday night and take care of business one more time. I don't think either of us has much doubt with the way that they've handled things all year that they're going to get it done. So we'll be back next week to hopefully... Hopefully, celebrate another Big Ten title and talk college football playoff again. Until then, in the words of Carl Grapentine, please be a good citizen and exit the field. Michigan 30, Ohio State 24.
0: So if you're still here, thank you for listening, and we will see you back next week.
1: Go Blue!